This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at placetobenation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. This is It Was a Thing on TV. Episode 317, submission 1391, the episode of Saturday Night Live, preempted by Game 6 of the 1986 World Series. The episode of Saturday Night Live preempted by Game 6 of the 1986 World Series was taped in the early morning hours of October 26th, 1986 and aired on NBC on November 8th, 1986. Well, guys, last spring we talked about the 1985-86 season of Saturday Night Live and how they had to because the reviews were so bad When the show came back in October of 1986, we had a whole new cast. Now, Dennis Miller, John Lovitz, and Nora Dunn, they all stayed for the 86-87 season, along with A. Whitney Brown, but we had a totally new cast. Yep, joining those people would be Dana Carvey, Master Impressionist, Victoria Jackson, and Jan Hooks, who is the lovely talented and vivacious Jan Hooks. But also, we had joining the cast in 86 and 87 someone who would be the defining rock of the show for the next eight years. Oh, yeah. The late, great Phil Hartman. A noted voice talent in his native Canada and in the U.S. Fun fact, he auditioned for Saturday Night Live after he did not get the gig to replace Johnny Olson on The Price is Right. Yes, I... he was actually under consideration to replace Johnny Olson for The Price is Right. This according to our friend Randy West. They ultimately went with Rod Roddy, and Phil Hartman left for New York to go do this thing. Well, remember, Phil Hartman was the announcer on the Pop and Rocker game with John Bellman in 1983. And he also, I think, did back in like the 60s and 70s, didn't he do like album art for different bands back in the day? Yeah, he did. Yes. So he does have like some experience with the rock and roll genre. Obviously, that was before he uh, went to the Groundlings and became Phil Hartman. So the season premiered on October 11th, 1986 with... Sigourney Weaver as the host, and that's a great episode because that's the uh, episode with the uh, debut of the church lady with Dana Carvey, but also the great chopping broccoli sketch. <laughs> Remember that? She's chopping broccoli. She's chopping broccoli. She's chopping broccoli. <laughs> <laughs> and then October 18th, you had uh, Malcolm Jamal Warner as the host with Run DMC as a musical guest. There was no musical guest in the uh, October 11th episode. But we're going into October 25th, and, well, Rosanna Arquette's the host. And as you know, in the last episode we teased it, in the promo, Rosanna and Dana talk about the World Series between the Mets and the Red Sox. And, well, this was the night of Game 6 of the 1986 World Series. 
The Red Sox had a 3-2 lead in the series. And it was a very tight game. It was tied at three going into the ninth inning. And obviously you know what happened in the 10th inning, but everyone forgets what happens in the bottom of the ninth because the Mets actually had an opportunity to win the game in the bottom of the ninth. And for whatever reason, Davey Johnson, like, refused with a runner on second to have Howard Johnson sacrifice. And they were unable to score in the ninth. And then the Red Sox scored two runs. And this is, like, forgotten in history, but... Vince Scully makes like a big deal about it. If you watch like in the bottom of the 10th inning about how it's probably going to sting in Davey Johnson's crawl all winter that he didn't have Howard Johnson bunt. So Wally Backman, Keith Hernandez in the bottom of the 10th, they fly out to the outfield. So there's two outs. There's one out for the Red Sox to win their first title since 1918. Now I'm going to play here in the um, episode a comment from Bob Costas from the Ken Burns documentary baseball about how he was preparing for the event that the Red Sox were going to win the World Series. I watched Dave Henderson hit his home run and the Red Sox tack on another run on the top of the 10th. Look at this bench. And with the score five to three, I went back into their clubhouse. They had put the cellophane over each of the lockers in anticipation of the champagne spray. They had built the little podium from which to do the post-game interviews. The cameras and the cable and the microphones were all in place. The World Championship trophy was on a stand covered by a piece of cloth. Frail Mrs. Yawkey had been led in there and she was standing next to the trophy along with Commissioner Ubaroth. And they were watching with me on a little monitor as the Mets came up to bat in the bottom of the 10th. I remember I was standing there thinking to myself, this is going to be the first ever interview in the wake of a Red Sox championship. There was no radio in 1918. There was no television, obviously. This is the first recorded moment after the Red Sox have won a world championship. So I'm thinking, how should that be summed up? What do you say to Mrs. Yawkey? What do you say to McNamara? What do you say to Boggs and, and Rice and Seaver and whomever else? Because remember, in 1918, nothing. There was no radio, no TV, no nothing. So then we go with Gary Carter coming to bat with two out. Gary Carter hits a single. And then Kevin Mitchell hits a single. Carter goes to third, first and third. And then Ray Knight comes to bat. Single. Runners at first and third, five to four. The Red Sox take Calvin Schiraldi out, and they put in Bob Stanley. And then Bob Costas says to somebody in the NBC truck this. And I remember I said to the people in the truck, who I could hear through my earpiece, what happens if they tie the game? And they said, you get the hell out of there as fast as you possibly can. So... Bob Stanley throws a wild pitch to Mookie Wilson, scoring Kevin Mitchell, moving Ray Knight to second. So it's 5-5, and the Mets have miraculously come back from the brink of elimination. And then Mookie Wilson hits a ground ball to first base, and Bill Buckner tries to field it, and the ball goes underneath his legs, and Ray Knight comes in to score. And there's the famous call by uh, 
Vince Scully. Behind the bag, it gets through Buckner. Here comes Knight, and the Mets win it. An absolute madness. The Mets coming back down two and winning game six to force a seventh and deciding game. But guys, here's the problem. This game ended at 12.35 a.m. around that time. So this would be like an hour into SNL. Yeah, this was on a Saturday night. Early Sunday morning. And obviously you'd have to go to your late local news following the game. So then it would end presumably at 1 o'clock. SNL was kind of screwed at this point. It's like, well... Let's just tape this episode and then air it like a week or two later on tape delay. So yeah, for the first time in the 11-year history of Saturday Night Live, they taped an episode to be aired like a week or two later. And they taped it at 1.30, I believe, in the morning. We're going to go through a recap of this entire episode. Before we do that, though, we have to hear from Don Porto, and a very special guest. The 25th, 1986. The New York Mets, one strike away from elimination in the World Series, stage a miracle comeback in the 10th inning. This thrilling spectacle is quickly overshadowed by an event of historic significance. The resulting preemption of Saturday Night Live. (laughs) (laughs) And then there was... Now you can't see it. But there was a flashing newspaper from the New York Post that says, in headline, Saturday Night Live preempted, in the bottom, Mets win. Like, who cares that the Mets had this miraculous comeback? Saturday Night Live got preempted. That's the story. For the first time in its 11-year history, the show is taped for later viewing. When we found out that Saturday Night Live had been preempted, the mood in the locker room dropped quicker than a Roger McDowell sinker ball. Sure, we tried to keep up a front, pretending to be happy after we won the series, but all we could think about were those disappointed Saturday Night Live fans. Even the ticker tape parade seemed like a hollow charade. So on behalf of all the Mets, I'd like to make a public apology. We didn't mean to do it. It's just that when you're playing in the World Series, sometimes you get all wrapped up in it, and, well, you forget about what's really important. Believe me, I'd gladly give back my World Series ring if it would bring the show back live. But it won't, so I'm keeping it. (laughs) okay before we do that though we should discuss doing that special introduction was of course new york mets pitcher ron darling and folks if you don't know who ron darling is you are well you're probably not a baseball fan but also like if you're here in new york ron darling is like beloved here I mean, obviously now today he's one of the announcers for the Mets on SNY with Gary Cohen and Keith Hernandez. And, well, let's be honest. If you saw the background behind me, Ron Darling, very handsome man. He is a handsome man. He looks like Mario Lopez, you know, back in the day. And also, I think we've mentioned this many times on this podcast, the famous pitcher's duel he had when he was at Yale with uh, Frank Viola when he was with uh, St. John's during the NCAA baseball tournament one year. Oh, of course we've mentioned that. I think this is at least like the third or fourth mention of it. Yeah, we've definitely referred to it in the past. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
a window on the times we lived in, back when the Mets hadn't won a series since 1969, back when the Republicans controlled the Senate, back when Halloween was still days away. Recorded between 1.30 and 3 a.m. on that fateful morning, October 26, 1986, this is the way it was. Okay, we got the cold open here. We have, of course, uh, Jan Hooks meeting Rosanna right before they uh, get everything going. And dress rehearsal. Oh yeah, Lauren Michaels just added it. Lauren, you talk to Lauren. <laughs> of course, just rehearsed the scene for an hour and a half. I I can't believe it. He's usually so aloof. Three minutes to air. Okay, okay. Bye, bye. Good luck. The next producer and Rosanna's wearing this. Bathrobe and a nighty. dresser, you. Makes me dizzy. Lauren, kiss me. Fancy dresser, you. Who is it? It's me, Lauren Michaels. That is not Lauren Michaels. No. Uh oh. Oh no! It's Tommy. It's Tom. I believe this is the genesis of. Uh, no, it's not the genesis of uh, Tommy Flanagan, the pathological liar. I say one line and then we. Yeah, because we talked about an eighty-five, eighty-six. Oh, well, you see, it's a, it's conceptual. Yeah, it's, it's a political statement. Yeah, that's what it is. It's a plea for the homeless. We don't even mention the homeless. Well, we don't want to be too preachy. Yeah, see, it's, it's subtext. It's, it's a hidden message. You have to read between the lines. But I only have one line. Yeah, exactly. The rest are hidden. Yeah. You have one line, so read between it. I don't know. I just, I can't believe you're a producer. Oh, yes? Well, listen to this. There's no money, but it's great exposure. You're a producer. Yeah. A big-time television producer. In fact, I was one of the first. Yeah, that's who I was. Why, uh, you know Captain Kangaroo? I recruited him. Yeah. Whoa. Whoa. expected him to make Captain, though. No, I always thought it would be green jeans. Yeah, I knew them all. Why, why, I knew Ernie Kovacs before he was ahead of his time. Yeah, remember uh, you are there? I was there. Yeah. Why, I even knew Flicker when he had no friends. Excuse me. One minute to air, everybody. Oh, you better get ready for the show. Who are you? I'm what? Uh-oh. 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 Okay, I'm not Lorne Michaels. I'm, I'm lying. Yeah, that's it. I'm, I'm a pathological liar. Oh. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. 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 Paging Mr. Michaels. Paging Mr. Lauren Michaels. Oh, what? Yeah, I'll be there in a second. Oh, and I, I just paged myself, too. Yeah, yeah. that's what I did. Yeah, Hold on, son. Who's that guy? You better get ready for the show. What are you doing in that outfit? <laughs> it's for the neck with the producer's sketch. Neck with the producer's sketch? Hmm. Hmm. Better get ready. This isn't bad. <laughs> Wait. It's funny and it makes an interesting point about the homeless. Hi <laughs> from New York. It's Saturday night. Makes an interesting point about the homeless. It does. Okay, this is the intro. Rosanna Arquette's introduces your host and your musical guest, Rick Ocasek from the Cars. So it doubles as a Halloween episode because we have Rick Ocasek who looks like a skeleton with a happening haircut. Oh, God, don't do that to Rick Ocasek. Let's just hear this monologue here from Rosanna right now. How about those Mets? 
Yeah, because this would have been recorded right after the win. Yep. Yeah. You never know how you're going to feel until you're actually standing here. And I'm uh, pretty nervous. But I'm glad I'm doing this show because it's two weeks before the elections, and I wanted to, you know, do some political humor. Unfortunately, the network won't let me mention any names. I, I can't even say which party I'm for because of the equal time thing. But... True. Someone we know has been really ruining this country. <laughs> and I can't say what office he holds because it's, well, I just can't, but it's very high up. And, and he's been spending all our money on these things. But I, I can't say what they are, but... <laughs> anyway, we're gonna have a great show tonight. Rick Ocasek's here, and... And it makes a great point about the homeless. Oh, yeah, it makes a really good point about the homeless. But also, I think, wasn't Star Wars like the big thing in 1986? I mean, yeah, uh, on paper, it's called the Strategic Defense Initiative, but yes, Star Wars. We have, well, I'll just let Doug Llewellyn talk on it. Oh, Doug Llewellyn? Doug Llewellyn, yeah. By Doug Llewellyn, you mean uh, Kevin Nealon in a wig. Kevin Nealon in a really bad wig. Okay, let me yeah. Just... This is Vonda Breakaway, the plaintiff. She sold her immortal soul to the devil in return for success in her hairdressing business, but now claims that the devil cheated her. She seeks nullification of the contract plus damages. <laughs> Vonda Braithwaite, plaintiff, suing for nullification of contract, plus $1,800. This is Mephistopheles, the devil. <laughs> he claims that he did keep his part of the bargain, and that the plaintiff is simply trying to welch out of her legal commitment. He seeks the soul, plus court costs. <laughs> Mephistopheles, the devil, defendant, suing for soul, plus court costs. <laughs> the situation... I think... Hold on a second. Was Metastopheles doing the uh, Live Long and Prosper song? Yes, he was. <laughs> I don't understand this. Not in a court context anyway. But, yes, he was doing the Vulcan hand salute. The situation you are about to see is real. The people are not actors. They are actual litigants in cases filed in a California municipal court. They have agreed to waive their right to trial and to have their disputes settled in our forum. The People's Court. <laughs> Hello, I'm Douglas. <laughs> the moment you face the competition and the beat. Judge Wap. Oh, God. <laughs> Kevin Nealon's wig in this segment. That Kevin Nealon's wig is bigger than the rest of his head. <laughs> that is what you call a big case of helmet hair. And we'll enter the courtroom shortly to hear testimony from the two parties. I mean, oh, here he is now. I, I have to wonder how much product goes into Please that. Please be seated. I read your statements. And we got Phil as Judge Wapner now, here. Now, Ms. Braithwaite, you mm -hmm. are the owner of a business establishment known as the Hair Affair. Yes, Your Honor. And several and, months ago, uh, the defendant... Rosanna is playing Vonda, kind of and Jan is playing Vonda's mother, now, which you will hear in a moment. And you agreed to sell your mortal soul in return for success in the hairstyling field, is that correct? Yes, Your Honor. 
Mr. Mephistopheles. Yes, Your Honor. I, I have here a copy of the contract. I see that it is written in blood. Oh. The language in this document is fairly vague. Now, how exactly did you help Miss Braithwaite's business? Well, Your Honor, in addition to giving her day-to-day -day advice in the running of a small business, tax planning and so on, I advanced her nearly $2,700 for new equipment. Now, I have here three canceled checks. One is for $1,260. One is for $940. May I see those, please? Uh, yes. <laughs> Come on, let's go, let's go. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, this is a... Uh, this is a receipt from the Anita Barber Supply Company for three bonnet-style hairdryers. As you can see, they've been paid in Yes, thank you. I'll study this. Miss Braithwaite, is this your Thank you. I have eyes. Yes, Your Honor. Your Honor, I'd like to say something, if I could, please. Excuse me. Are you a relative of the plaintiff? I am her mother. And what is your occupation? I am a barfly. And by that, you mean you loiter in bars waiting for men you don't know to buy you drinks? That is correct, Your Honor. <laughs> Proceed. Well, I don't think that Vonda here knew what she was getting into when she signed this contract now. She is only 18 years old, Your Honor. 18 going on eight. It's true. Now, I'm telling you, she doesn't understand words like immortality or a soul or eternity, or any of that I do business. too. Bonda, I'm going to smack you, honey. You've got to... <laughs> All right. Thank you. I will take that under advisement. Now, Miss Braithwaite, in your deposition, you state that shortly after you started your business and went into agreement with the devil, your business actually began to lose money. Now, is this your idea of success in business, Mr. Mephistopheles? <laughs> well, Your Honor, that was kind of a trick. You see, as I promised Miss Braithwaite, I made her a great hairdresser. Her coiffs were magical. Once you got one, you never needed another. Oh. So there was no repeat business. Exactly. But it's more or less customary for me to cheat mortals in this way by observing only the letter of the agreement. For example, I'll give someone eternal youth and then have them sentenced to life imprisonment. That sort of thing. But it's standard. I'm the devil. Yes. Now, according yes. to Miss Braithwaite's deposition, shortly after she filed her lawsuit, you began to harass her. Is that correct? Your Honor, that is totally ridiculous. What about coming to my house in the form of a black cat? That was probably a black cat. Well, what about throwing all that garbage in our yard? What was that? I did not put garbage in your yard. Well, who hit my car in the parking lot? It didn't dent by itself. Now, you listen to me. I'm Mephistopheles, Prince of Darkness. When I start harassing you, you'll know it. I tell you, if I find any more garbage in my yard, I'm not going to Shut up. And I'm going to go, she makes it. Mr. I'm warning you. Wapner's not taking any Nether regions, but I run this court. Is that clear? Yes, Your Honor. Now, if the parties have calmed down, I'm ready with my decision. It's clear that there was a contract between the two parties. What is not clear is the extent to which the defendant kept his part of the bargain. Your Honor, it's Mr. clear that Mr. Mephistopheles, please. <laughs> but in view of the plaintiff's age and the fact that she obviously did not understand what she was getting into, this court must find for Miss Braithwaite. Yay! He's here by order to pay damages and also to maintain a minimum distance of 500 yards between himself and the plaintiff at all times. Judgment, plaintiff. So Judge Wapner finds for the plaintiff, Avonda Braithwaite.
Let's get a reaction. Yes, Wanda, what? What have you learned from all this? Will you ever sell your soul to the devil again? Well, only for something really good like eternal youth or a really nice car. And Miss, Mrs. Braithwaite, if I may say so, you look awfully young to be Vonda's mother. Well, I'm 33, but that's very nice of you to say. <laughs> let's get, let's get the answer from the devil. Do the math, folks. Just, leave me alone. just do the math. I'm sorry. It's not you, Doug. <laughs> just that I'm out $2,700 that I'll probably never see again, plus I have to pay damages. What am I going to do with three bonnet hair dryers? <laughs> Mark my word, the wench will be mine. Next time you'll get it in writing? I had it in writing. He did! You, and what? watching this at home, worship me. I command you, become my willing crows and live eternally. That's all for this edition of the People's Court. Oh, the sweet, sublime feeling of complete obedience to your evil master. <laughs> Come, so the Prince of Darkness. I oh, God. Me. Let's go. Wait, 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 wait one second. <laughs> <laughs> Obey me. Obey me. <laughs> Remember. <laughs> <laughs> Remember, if someone cheats you in a business dealing and you feel you're being intimidated, don't take the law into your own hands. You take them to court. I love that the guy who's playing Rusty the Bailiff kind of sort of looks like Red the Bum from Back to the Future, Chico. Yes. Yeah, I get that. I'm like, he doesn't look anything like Rusty, but, you know, he looks enough like Rusty, but not, you know, it doesn't really even matter at this point. It's it's a really good sketch. Hold on. Wait. Whammy, what are you doing here? I want to thank you for not bringing up my relation with my father. <laughs> hey, you just did that, sir. I just said, thank you for not bringing it up. <laughs> you got me. You got me there. Now, just remember, we talked about this last episode. My dad left for smokes and never came back. I'm really upset at him. Even though I got to give John Levitt's credit. That was damn funny. It was damn funny. Hold on a second. I got to ask you something. Whammy. Given the subject of this episode... Did your dad place a curse on the Red Sox for about 86 years? And he placed a curse on the Cubs, which lasted like a hundred and what, 108 years. And he put a curse on the Cleveland team. It's going to be 75 years next year. That's total bullcrap. My unbiased opinion. Let it be entered into the record that the devil, according to the whammy, his curse on the Cleveland Guardians is to be complete and utter bullcrap. And that is his unbiased opinion. Look at me. Looks like I've got John Lovitz's crazy face when I do this. <laughs> I almost <laughs> wonder... <laughs> Alright, go back. Enjoy the show. Thank you for not bringing too much attention to my bastard father. And now we move right into church chat, which is, at this point, still struggling to find its voice. I mean, it's right there, but... Well, remember, this is the second time they've done this. this cause... Yeah, I know. It's like, okay, the meat is in the sandwich, I like to say. Dana Carvey knows what he's doing. He just needs to do a little bit more of it. You'll see he gets better and better as time goes on. Doing some foreshadowing here. Don't mention my dad. 
Um, I can't don't. make any. I can't make any promises. Maybe the church lady will mention your dad, but we won't mention it. There you go. Okay. And I'm the church lady, and this is church chat. <laughs> October thirty first, as you know, is Halloween. Innocent little holiday for the kiddies, or a night on the town for Satan. <laughs> This is Mr. Jack-o'-lantern. A cute carved-out vegetable or a frozen death mask contorted in rage and hate. <laughs> well, what do we have here? A raging inferno of satanic hellfire. Ooh. Isn't that special? <laughs> and now please welcome Jenny Barton, National Bible Student of the Year. A woman who has attended church 757 Sundays in a row. Whoa! Whoa! Until last That's week. That's a lot of Sundays. You missed church, didn't you, Jenny? Well, I'm sorry I missed church last Sunday, but my boyfriend Peter's grandmother slipped in the tub and he needed my help. Well, apparently some of us come to church when it's convenient. <laughs> so, there you and your boyfriend were in that hot, steamy, mirrored little water closet. But his grandmother was unconscious. Leaving you and Peter free to fornicate. But, but we would never do that. We're not even married. Mm-hmm. Well, who would you do that with, huh? Satan? All righty, my next guest is film actress Rosanna Arquette, best known for her role in Desperately Seeking Satan. Uh, <laughs> whatever. Satan, Susan, Susan, Satan. Satan, Susan, same thing. Corporations are dominating America. I find that scary. That big oil and chemical companies are dumping toxic waste and polluting our drinking water with known cancer-causing chemicals. That's scary. Not wrong. Well, apparently we have our little opinions, don't we? (laughs) We talk and talk and talk, and we just like the sound of our own little voice. Well, that's very special. Another thing I'm currently involved with is fundraisers to get more Democrats back into the Senate. Uh-huh. Do you go to church, Rosanna? No, but I believe in God. Oh, so you work for Cranston and not for Christ. <laughs> Isn't that special? <laughs> well, who else would you like to see elected to the Senate, Rosanna? Would it be, oh, I don't know. <laughs> Satan? <laughs> All righty. And now I'd like to bring on our final guest, Keith Richards, rock star, or Satan worshiper. (laughs) Here's a joke. (laughs) That's not Keith Richards. No, it's Rick Ocasek. Yes, tonight's musical guest, Rick Ocasek. I'm not Keith Richards, I'm Rick Ocasek. I just said that. Outfit that is, Ricky. Nice hat, by the way. Why are you on my show? Well, my manager thought it would be a good idea to come on Church Chat to plug my new video compilation album, Best of the Cars. Alrighty, well, we have some highlights. Can we run that clip, please? Music removed for obvious copyright reasons. Sorry. <laughs> She's dumbfounded. <laughs> She's befuddled. Well, yeah, the serpent was a great metaphor for temptation, uh, don't you think? We 
like ourselves, don't we, Ricky? <laughs> With our black leather pants stretched tight across our bulbous crotch region. <laughs> Those are some tight pants. Apparently, we fancy ourselves a modern-day antichrist. You remember him, don't you? His satanic majesty, Beelzebub, the wicked one, the foul fiend, his blasphemous, the author of evil, the father of lies, old horny, the sin stud, the great confuser. And in case you've just tuned in, of course, we're talking about the red-hot, tight-buttocked, hairy host of hell. Miss Lady, I might be going out on a limb here, but uh, you seem to have this obsession with the devil. I mean, it's ridiculous. Richard, I'm going to say a little prayer against you. And the church lady's doing a silent you prayer. Prickly heat in your groin area, Ricky? Not really. Oh, well, sometimes it takes a while. Yeah, yeah this... <laughs> spoiler alert. Discipline didn't work. Good, doesn't it? You know, your problem is you sit there so smug and self-satisfied on your high throne, judging everyone, totally devoid of any self-awareness, any heartful connection to humanity, any... any... any consciousness. God... What you really are, church lady, is a sexually repressed, closed-minded, vicious little bitch. Ooh! Ooh! Well, isn't that special? Well, isn't that special? Called it. Well, in all fairness, I must admit that sometimes I'm a bit judgmental of others. Well, I see our time is up, and I guess you're all happy about that, because according to Rosanna, I'm not a very good person. Maybe I shouldn't host church chat anymore. Hmm. Maybe you'd rather see someone else take my place. Oh, I don't know who they could get on such short notice. I guess they'd have to get someone like, oh, I don't know. Can't think of anyone offhand. How about Satan? <laughs> this has been Church Chat with the Church Lady. Okay, now we got the commercial parody. Oh. Honestly. Why Lame. Why someone build a spook house that doesn't insult my intelligence? Someone has. Hello. I'm Leona Helmsley. <laughs> 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 now, can we describe what we're seeing here for the audience? Yes, it's uh, Leona Helmsley, played by Nora Dunn. She's in her mansion... And she's offering tours of her mansion. For those of you who are of a certain age, Leona Helmsley was dubbed the Queen of Mean. She was a bit of a... She was a bitch! Thank you! That's the word I was looking for. She was a bitch. Uh, and she was a... Well, she was a notorious in New York for keeping absolutely unkempt New York high-rise hotels. Well, you also need to remember when she passed away, she left everything to her dog. Hey, sorry. But she did. I mean, she didn't uh, have any, uh, I don't know if she necessarily didn't have inheritors, but she didn't leave money to family or anything. She left money to her dog. I knew that. All her, her, all her money, yes. It's like, Leona Helmsley was a petty bitch, okay? Located atop the Helmsley Palace Hotel in Midtown Manhattan. From the moment you arrive, you'll be pampered like no other spook house has ever pampered you. Turn back before right it's too late. You notice the little things. Things like real skeletons, never plastic. Live rats, 
Real cow eyes. We could have skimped and used peeled grapes, but our customers would have known the difference. I know I would. And walls that drip real human blood. I wouldn't be frightened by animal blood. Why should you be? <laughs> and then there's our staff. Courteous, efficient, and fluent in several languages. Unlike the lazy clock watchers you find at cut-rate spook houses. Now granted, an evening at the Helmsley spook house is not inexpensive, but then the best seldom is. Another satisfied customer. Children under 18 not admitted. Oh, good. I'll be seeing you in your nightmares. <laughs> oh, jeez, no, Leona, no. That's scary. That's some scary crap right there. That's scary. We have the band jamming. You know what that means. It's time for a commercial. Yeah. And now it's time for Rico Kasich performing. And you know what? I think this is a really good time for a break, don't you? That's right. As Rick is performing Emotion in Motion for the audience, let's take a short commercial break with these 1986 commercials. We'll be right back. After these messages, we'll be right back. It's been six years since she last blew her top. Is Mount St. Helens just another tourist attraction? Find out on Monday's Evening Magazine at 7.30. Hello, this is Ron Robin for Saturday, October 25th. Talk about stress and tension. This is quite a game. Let's take a break right now and make some mega bucks, shall we? We'll take a look at our first number tonight, which is a nine. Our next number is 22. And a three. The estimated jackpot tonight, $3 million. Our fourth number this evening is a 26. And a 12. And finally, last number this evening is a 21. So tonight's number is 3, 9, 12, 21, 22, 26. That's tonight's Mega Bucks number, just a few seconds away from getting back to the World Series. Touchstone Pictures presents Paul Newman and Tom Cruise in Martin Scorsese's The Color of Money, one of the biggest blockbusters of the season. We're going to have a lot of fun. The Color of Money, rated R, now playing at theaters everywhere. Tuesday, Torello wants to end Chicago's reign of terror. His wife wants to end their marriage. Tell me that you want me out of your life. When can you pick up your clothes? Crime Story, Tuesday. Robert Redford. Glenn Close. Robert Duvall. Kim Bassinger, Wilford Brimley, The Natural Sunday. Sunday, the NFL plays here when the Seahawks battle the Broncos. Before your team takes the field, our team hits the air. NFL 86. Plastic snack chunks are a crunchy and delicious snack with only two calories each. But like any snack, you still have to work off the calories. You ready? Mm -hmm. One calorie, two calories. Hit the shower. Okay. Try new plastic snack chunks. They're only two calories each, but they taste like a million. How hearty and spicy are plastic zesty dills? Just try one pickle, and you'll know. I'll take this one. 
Rest in peace, Ron Masak. And now, back to our show. By the way, before we go back, I want to thank friend of Place to Be Nation, Peter Winston, for that great clip of the Massachusetts Lottery from the night of Game 6 of the 1986 World Series. So, thanks, Pete. And also, man, the Broncos and the Seahawks playing tomorrow. Oh, that's going to be an exciting matchup. John Elway against who would have been the Seahawks quarterback in 86, Mike? Was it Dave Craig? It might have been like one of the last years of Jim Zorn, possibly. Okay, Dave Craig would have still been there in 86. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. So it should be an exciting matchup, I guess, later on today on NBC. And by the way, I should note, this would have been the night, Sunday, October 26th of Game 7 of the 86 series. But you have to remember, there was a rain out the night of Game 7 of the 86 series. So they had to play it on a Monday night on October 27th. And if I remember, there was also a Giants-Washington game on Monday Night Football that same night. So we had the World Series going up against Monday Night Football. Yeah, and this was like today, the NFL would crush Game 7. But I think like literally nobody was in the stands at Giants Stadium, and literally nobody was watching the Monday Night Football game. And anyone who was in the stands at Giants Stadium was watching the World Series on like a little TV. What are those Radio Shack pocket junks? Something like that. I spent eight and here we have for the next fifteen seconds. Yeah. Kevin is machine. He's pole vaulting. Striving for excellence. I could have had anything for lunch, but I chose. Obvious that it is obvious. Because my body can handle pork. Eat it while you're still healthy. A message from the American Pork Lobby. Well, that's good. Oh, weekend update. All right, everybody shut up. Stop for Dennis going to cook. With anchor person, Dennis Miller. Thank Uh, Thank you, thank you. I am newsman, hear me roar. Tonight's top story... Donald Duck and Mickey Mouse turned up in the People's Republic of China this week to promote their series in Chinese television. This is just part of a worldwide Disney operation, which includes Goofy in Beirut and also a new Disney character, Hassenfuss, in Nicaragua. Oh, jeez. Terrorist leader Abu Abbas this week announced that he would come out of hiding if he is allowed to do both Johnny Carson and Joan Rivers shows. The deal was squelched, though, by Tonight Show producer Fred DeCordova, who said he wouldn't let Abbas sit down with Carson because his act is too much like Karnak, the Magnificent. Oh, yeah, I should note, yeah, this is like a month into Joan Rivers' run on The Late Show on Fox. Yeah, this is way before we knew that anybody who sat down with Joan Rivers would never, ever, ever be allowed on Carson ever again. Ever. Ever. Dig out of that hole. <laughs> and the stress of hosting her own late night show is beginning to take a toll on Joan Rivers. Here she is in a pre show publicity shot looking absolutely ecstatic, but after a scant 10 shows, her condition has degenerated to this. <laughs> Mid March 2023, be listening. <laughs> yeah, 
Mike, can you describe what's on the green screen behind Dennis? What can I say besides my money in the bank pick? <laughs> Madam is behind Dennis because that's apparently what Joan turned into. They're the same picture. Basically. Yeah, he's not wrong. Oh my God. That's March 2023. Just a brutal brutal business ladies and gentlemen her chin looks like a set of testicles i'm sorry <laughs> saint georgie the nobel prize winning scientist who discovered vitamin c died yesterday at the age of 93 his last words were i guess this stuff doesn't work <laughs> right, he's a russian you can laugh this week, the Nobel Booby Prize was awarded to a man in Malaysia who thought he had cured cancer, but actually just ended up making it worse. <laughs> On Tuesday of this week, the United States officially expelled 55 Soviet diplomats suspected of oh, espionage. The activity. more things change, the, the more they stay the same. Officials was the yep. startling <laughs> That's a good, really good Steve Martin impersonation. It's a lot to tape, pal. I am a human being, too. <laughs> the startling discovery that these were the Russians who, in fact, have been jamming the National Football League's instant replay system is nothing sacred to these commie heathens. I think 86 would have been the first year of the replay, right, Mike? Yeah, and it didn't work out as well as it could have, just saying. Yeah, the first time it didn't work. Yeah, I think it lasted all the way, the original replay, up until 91, because I remember in the Super Bowl that year between Washington and Buffalo, there was a Washington touchdown that was overturned because of replay. And isn't that an odd colloquialism to turn up in the London Times, huh? By the way, exactly what is TAT, where do I get it, and how do I turn it in for the other thing? Obviously found the level of the room, and I think it's right here. <laughs> I like to do that every six newscasts, just to be safe. <laughs> it's an old Sophia Loren commercial. You know, the Vatican this week announced it has a $56 million deficit and appealed to church members for contributions. God's accountants, E.F. Hutton, blamed Pope John Paul II for spending too much bread on threads. <laughs> and Lyndon LaRouche, Rupert Murdoch, and Lorenzo Lamas are three of the latest names to sign on for the new benefit show, Night of a Hundred Creeps. Ooh. All proceeds go to the creeps themselves. Ow. The Defense Department has finally settled on a method for basing the MX missile somewhere they can put it, where nobody will ever be able to find it. They've now asked former chip star Eric Estrada to carry one around <laughs> here. That looks like Doug Llewellyn. Oh, he was pretty snooty when he was up. We took a shot. Fighting, fighting unauthorized use and exploitation in the name Ernest Hemingway, the late author's family has made the name a legal trademark and plans a line of products, including outdoor clothing and other items. Also, check your bookstore soon for a new title, The Old Man and the Sea Note. And now, too cerebral. And now, here to give us the big picture, our own A. Whitney Brown. Yeah! 
this would be yeah. 10 years before the Daily Show, eh, the Whitney Brown? Yeah. That is the big picture. Little has Wait. changed. Being marred by the crude swipe of the censor's brush. Yes, I'm afraid that an unfettered form for free opinion is getting as hard to find as a fundamentalist in a library. Playboy and Penthouse are being pulled from the shelves thanks to an unholy alliance between Bible-thumping reactionaries and militant lesbians. Talk about strange bedfellows. They say these magazines shouldn't be sold because they're degrading to women. Well, if they're sincere, they should also ban the sales of ultramarine turquoise eyeshadow. What could be more degrading than to walk the streets looking like a tropical fish with a hangover? <laughs> On the other hand, the Mies Commission claims some kind of a link between pornography and violent sex crimes. Now, this may be a giant leap of logic, but if some lonely sex-crazed pervert on the prowl wants to get a copy of Playboy at four in the morning, I say we let him. <laughs> As Attorney General, the main thing Ed Mies has done is made people reassess the brilliant legal mind that was John Mitchell. Now, I don't want to sit here and say I'm against morality, but I will if no one else will. The point is, I like dirty pictures. Well, who doesn't? Well, then, what about our rights? Television, of course, is a different matter. Its censorship policy is based on a simple formula, craven pandering to the most vocal minority. The networks have a duty to appear socially responsible. Of course, they can't actually be socially responsible, or they have the demographics of C-SPAN. Well, remember, C-SPAN would have been a new thing back then. A courageous move, I think, taking on the formidable pro-crack lobby. <laughs> while blatantly glorifying the concept of instant gratification at every turn. That's what they do. Network censorship all seems a little silly to me when you consider the availability of cable TV. Our host tonight cannot say suck in the wrong context. But without rising from your bed, you can click the channel to HBO and see her completely naked in Executioner's song. No, wait, wait, I'm kidding. Actually, they're rerunning Chud for the 47th. Oh, season. Chud! But you get my point. Uh -huh. The elements that comprise the mighty mural of life we know is the big picture, and some of them are offensive. Nevertheless, the scribbled etchings of the perverse mind are infinitely preferable to the slapped-on whitewash of the censor's brush, and that, my friends, is the big picture. Here, here. Whitney Brown, folks. You know, with Chud blew me away. And the New York Mets defeated the Boston Red Sox. In yeah! Good for you! Six of the World Series tonight, prompting New York Yankee owner George Steinbrenner to fire his manager, Lou Pinella. <laughs> Here's this week's movie tip. Four stars. My highest rating goes to Chorus Hour's four-hour live concert film, Ron DMC. Nice. And remember, tonight's the night you turn your clocks inside out. No. Uh, so you turn your clocks back an hour tonight. Yeah, daylight savings time would just uh, ended. Tonight. 12.40 and ends at 1.20. Pacing, kids. It's all pacing. That's the news, and I am out of here. I gotta say, though.
that uh the madam joke that was the best joke of the night from that up that that one landed didn't it and now we go back to the funny bit with well actually it's after update so update is typically when the show peaks and then it can only go down yeah, from here yeah like any era everyone always says of oh, saturday night live back in the day Funny start to finish. No, if you've been watching, like, even going back to, like, the early years of SNL, like, once update is done, then steep plateau. That's where they get the uh, sketches where it's like, eh, let's put it on the 1240 slot. It's like, eh, no one's probably going to care. Everyone's going to bed at this point. It's funny enough for people who are obviously drunk. Because it's Saturday night. And what else are you doing except getting drunk? For example, the Sammy's sketch. It's been a great series, Sammy. Hey, we're going to walk away with some coin on this one. Oh, now that you mention it, we want a couple of saw bucks. Yeah, and should we describe what they're eating? They're eating uh, Chinese takeaway, and they're drinking off-brand light beer. Off-brand Budweiser, where the logo's obviously stickered off. Yes, and they're wearing what looks to be Yankees jerseys, but where the where the NY interlock would be, it's just Sammy. 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 I'm gonna do running every day. I'm gonna swim. I'm gonna do a hundred sit-ups a day. I'm gonna run. Whoa, who am I? And that's another thing I'm never gonna do, right? <laughs> there you go. That's another thing I'm never gonna, gonna do. I know how that feels. This is the dream for me, Chico. Sitting in your mother's basement, watching baseball, drinking beer, and eating Chinese takeaway? Not necessarily the Chinese takeaway, but. Or the beer. A-frame, nice, you know? Sleeps a couple people indoor plumbing with a nice deck. Oh, my goodness, another thing I'm never gonna do, right? <laughs> hey, look at this, Sammy. Riverside Cafe is having free beer night next Tuesday the 28th. Oh, <laughs> And then there's whatever that is. It'll just take a minute, honey. Edward insisted that he meet my brother. Edward, this is my brother, Sammy. And what do you say, Eddie? Hello. Eddie. <laughs> okay, you've met my brother. We can go now. We've got wait, wait, okay, we can go now. Sammy right here. Oh, it's a pleasure meeting you, gentlemen. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, did you say your name is Sammy, too? Yeah, they're both Sammys. <laughs> That's right. What are the odds? <laughs> hey, have a seat, Eddie. Come on, hey. what do you think of this series? The crowd, please, Hey. Oh, <laughs> let me grip a poem for Sammy, you, Eddie. Sammy, it's really getting late. It's all right, honey. We have a minute. That a guy. Yeah, hey, who By the way, Nora Dunn, classy as ever. That's basically her thing. Oh, it's not She's that. It's really classy. Very busy right now. Yes, no. Edward has plans for his future. Oh yeah, what do you got up your sleeve, Eddie? Well, I'm planning on opening up a chain of clothing stores this winter. Oh, you kidding? That's another thing you're never gonna do. Right? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I've already, Edward, you know, started. Have to be going. Hey, Eddie, get a little of the stats on Gary Carter, huh? Not a bad season, consider 189 batting average in the series. You know what I mean? Yeah, hey, have a call one, Eddie. 
Oh, no, no, thank you. I, I've got to be clear-headed for tomorrow. Oh, yeah? What's your game for tomorrow? I beg your pardon? He means, what are you doing tomorrow? Oh, well, I was planning on flying to the West Coast to meet with some potential investors. Oh, who are you kidding, Eddie? There's another thing you're never gonna do. <laughs> no, I've, I'm going. I've already made the plane reservation. I'm gonna go. We get it. You're going. You know, reserved a room at the Ramada Inn. Ah, too bad Eddie couldn't stick around. Yeah, he's good people. Well, I'm gonna have some more of that dim sum squat over there. Square biz. What I say? Beautiful. <laughs> hey, Sammy, what is today anyway? Today's the 25th. Oh, I don't believe it. 15 minutes, tape delay game, off on it, Mississippi State. Oh, <laughs> what is even that? What is even that? Uh, Karen went to sleep. I thought I might stick around and have a cold one with you guys. Well, I will see. Have a fun. Hey, how about that game tonight? Was that a killer? Yeah. <laughs> Man. Have a cold one. Oh, thanks a lot. You know, I... I really like your sister. I uh, think I might marry her someday. Oh. Ah, who am I kidding? <laughs> That's another thing I'm never gonna do! Also, I like how they find in the listings on the TV in the paper, Auburn and Mississippi State on tape delay! Beautiful! And that was back in the days when like, you'd be lucky to find, like, any college football game on TV back then. Yep. It's not like today when you have, like, every freaking conference on television. It's time to play America's most challenging show, Make Joan Baez Laugh, with our host, Big Bill Franklin. Thank you, Don Pardo. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Make Joan Baez. I love how everybody Before says thank you, Don Jones, Pardo, after Don Pardo <laughs> announces a game show parody. I'd like to point out that tonight... Yeah, because they actually have Don Pardo. We're beginning yes. our ninth season on the air, which makes us the longest-running game show in Because he would be uh, announcing for NBC at large, as well as the uh, NBC4 in New York at the time. We've had over 2,000 amateur and professional comedians on the show trying to make Joan Baez laugh, and so far, no one's succeeded. Let's see what our jackpot is up to. Well, it's two million five hundred. Whoa! Whoa! Two million. That's a lot of 1986 money. Oh my God! Well, let's bring her out now. The star of our show, Miss Joan Baez. Yeah. Again, class it up by uh, Nora Dunn. Uh. Why George Why, why, why? Why the bombs in Paris? Why, why, why? Why did Jean Harris kill that guy? Why, poor Why? <laughs> years without even cracking a smile how can anyone laugh bill when there's so much suffering in the world the united states is the wealthiest nation on earth and yet we still have millions of children who go to bed hungry mm. yeah you know it reminds me of that joke <laughs> 
A bum walks up to a guy. Oh no, this isn't gonna work. Weeks, and the guy says, "You should force yourself." <laughs> that joke did not land. Anyway, I hate that joke. I was sure that guy on last that joke show was sucked. gonna get to you, though. He did over 20 minutes of scathing material on Ronald Reagan. Woo! I don't think there's anything funny about Ronald Reagan. He is responsible for the escalating arms race and for enslaving our Latino brothers and sisters. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey, you know, there's something I've been wanting to do for years. Gucci, 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 Gucci. <laughs> Anyway, we have six terrific young comics waiting to try their luck. Well, I'm really not in the mood for this. I have a terrific headache. Whoa, great. She has a headache. She hasn't giggled in nine years, and tonight she has a headache. Oh. The impossible dream, huh? Yeah. Well, John, take your throw. Yeah! Can we get a couple of aspirin and a glass of water for Joan? Now let's meet our first lamb to the slaughter. You know him from St. Elsewhere and numerous HBO specials. Let's bring him out now. He's crazy. He's unpredictable. He's wacky. The one and only Howie Mandel. Come yeah! <laughs> hey, fun fact. This takes place around 35 years before Howie Mandel and John Lovitz would both be regulars on the game show. Funny, you should ask. I never thought we'd have a funny you should ask reference on this podcast. Hey, what do you want? I'm good for this sort of thing. Well, I guess we've reached our Byron Allen quota for this episode. But Mike, I want you to describe what John is how he has. He has what looks like slung over his shoulder. It looks like, you know, some sort of like satchel like you know a, a newspaper bo uh, boy bag but it's in the shape of a hand so i'm guessing this is in lieu of you know putting the latex glove over his head and, and inflating it yeah so i guess we'll see what happens here He's gonna put the glove over. He's gonna his do head. the thing. He's gonna do the thing. Yes! <laughs> he did it. How it did it? For two and a half million dollars. <laughs> okay. Now you know. Two, what? Maybe about two and a half years earlier, mm -hmm. he could have done the exact same thing when he was on the Saint Elsewhere week of Match Game Hollywood Squares, and Gene Rayburn would have laughed his butt off. Oh, Gene and John, they would have laughed their asses off. The crowd would have gone nuts. Missed opportunity, just like how Gallagher should have smashed the watermelon that one week. Oh. Luck from your body, and you're willing to sweat to get it. 
You're the kind of person Ooh, Phil Hartman getting it. But sometimes you ask yourself, what's it all for? Well, now there's a reason to stay in shape. Oh, is there? Oh, pork. It's for you because your heart can take it. Oh, good. Think of it as a reward. <laughs> a message from the American Pork Lobby. And there's a pig. A roasted pig. With an apple in its mouth and everything. Yeah, it's like, come on and eat me. Come on and eat me. Maybe it's the roasted pig from Paperboy. Remember that? I do remember that. Hey, maybe it's like, what, about seven, eight years early for the pig that uh, Homer was going to uh, cook up at the BBBQ? Oh, yeah. Uh, no, oh, oh, you know what it is? It's the roasted Kahlua pig that Screech lost in Hawaii that one time. Oh, yeah. Was that Seed by the Bell Hawaiian style? Yes. All right, go back to episode 108. And you know what, Chico? Those people at the Royal Pacific Hotel. Screw those guys. They're no good. And here's Rico Kasich again. Doing another cool number. Yep, singing Keep On Laughing. Good song there. All right, Miss Connie's Fable Nook. And the lovely and talented Jan Hooks as Miss Connie herself. Come now and lend an ear as I recount the tale of Coco, clown extraordinaire. Mishu, his impressionable apprentice, and LeBay, the gentle giant, understood by no one but his two tiny allies. Our tale begins in a forest not far from Marseille. Yes, Kevin Nealon is that tall. Yeah. Coco, slow down, for LeBay is tired. Do not worry, LeBay. There is a mountain spring not too furlongs from here where you may sip and revitalize yourself. Come. Yes, Kevin Nealon is taller than Dennis Miller. And as you know, Dennis Miller is pretty tall. predicament for these little rascals. So they struck out in search of much-needed libation, and before too long they arrived at the spring. Oh, a happier trio there never, never was. Skip, skip, skip. Skippity, skippity, skippity. Here is the water I promised you. Mishu, you're standing in the stream. Oh, my foot is wet. <laughs> and damp to boot. Yes. Would you like to sip from the pond? Why, yes, my friend Coco. Do so. The water is cool and delicious, as you promised, Coco. LeBay? Oh, I get it. This is pond? classic clowning. Well, you'll have I'll, uh, Bobby Hill that one time. But Coco, why are you being so cruel? I am not being cruel, my tiny friend Mishu. I am merely teaching LeBay the precious lesson of patience. Today he remains parched. Tomorrow he may sip from the pond. Back! Back, LeBay! Get your prodding stick! Keep LeBay back! Back, LeBay! Trust Coco's wisdom! Back! LeBay, what we do, we do out of love. Come now, my dearest friends. Let us continue on our way to the crafts fair. Skip, skip, skip. Coco? Yes? 
Will there be dwarves and gnomes for LeVay to wrestle with? Oh, yes, Mishu. And also trolls and mutants we may spar with. Ooh! <laughs> yes, Coco, Mishu, and LeVay eventually made it to the crafts here, where LeVay was hurt wrestling a feisty gnome named Jip, the surprisingly strong one. During his long recuperation, he rested peacefully because of the beautiful lesson Coco had given him. The lesson of patience. And now here comes the auto harp. Where gumdrops and jelly beans danced on their base, and cotton candy clouds hung all over the place. Where peppermint skyscrapers climbed up to the Milky Way, it's Coco and Mishu and their friend, the That was something else. Like I said, that that was a classic clowning. Like, no bulbous nose or white makeup or whatever. It was just classic, classic clowning. Alright, so let's go to this diner here. I know, I know. Your mother's been worried sick for two weeks. Dad, I gotta do this. You'll see, I'm gonna be on MTV. You can do anything you want. Just call your mother, okay? Okay. I love you, baby. Me too, Dad. the Acropolis and it is on the wall. It is on the wall. It wasn't the waiter's call. I saw God. He told me to say what I really feel. I saw God. He told me to say what I really mean. To cut my hair and dye it green. I saw And in the words we say, I 
like I said, just good enough. Yeah. And Cloth now, here's yeah. a short film, Coffee and Cigarettes, a film by Jim Jarmusch, with Roberto Benigni and Stephen Wright. Roberto Benigni's in this! Holy crap! And yet, there's Roberto Benigni! Future Oscar winner, smoking a cigarette. Drinking coffee. Yeah, a little too much coffee. Uh, uh, hello, here's Steve. Steven. Steve. Steven. Hi. Sit down. Roberto? Yes, sir. You're more wound up, huh? Yeah. Yes. You wound up? I'm wound up, too. Yes. I'm wound up. And yeah, both Roberto. Yeah. And both yes, very good for me. Roberto and Stephen Wright are smoking Love cigarettes because Steve. obviously Steven. the cigarette is Stephen Wright's gimmick at this time. What, what do you do? Uh, you know, just relax, sit around, maybe have a cigarette. Yes? Uh, cigarettes and coffee, I think, go together good. I don't know. Do oh, that's a lot of cigarettes on that ashtray. And that's a lot of coffee on the table. Yeah. Obviously, this is before the days when Bloomberg... Like, banned smoking all over the place in New York. Because, you know, smoking's not good for you. No. It's a horrible habit. Oh, of course. It's unhygienic. It tears your lungs apart. I'd much rather drink a whole lot of coffee. Do you smoke? Only when I drink coffee. Do you know my mother? Do I know your mother? Yeah. No, I don't think so. Yeah. Coffee. And back to the coffee and the cigarettes on the table. An ice cube tray. Yeah. Coffee and put sticks in it. And for kids, you know, because they can start out when they're kids. You know, they. No, 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 kids. Smoking's bad. Caffeine popsicle. No. Drink coffee. Yes. Not that coffee is much better for you, but. Yeah. Oh, they're toasting with the coffee. Like I said, this is uh, this is the twelve thirty half hour. Yeah, it's like we got nothing else better to do. Most of you are all asleep anyway. You having, you having trouble hearing me? Maybe we should switch. switch. Yes, yes, thank you very much. I'd like to switch. Oh, they're gonna switch seats. Yes. Good. By the way, do not try and. Suss out any sort of extraneous you're, meaning from this piece. Like no, this is, is a, this is just two like, guys you're, talking, you're well, yes, smoking cigarettes, better, yes. and drinking coffee. That's the whole film. Steven. Steven, yes. It's, it's Roberto Benini and Stephen Wright drinking coffee and smoking cigarettes. That's all there is to it. That's it. That's the whole thing. Do when you leave? United States? No, here. Oh, here. Oh, I have to leave soon. Actually, I have a I have a dentist appointment. Oh, yeah. I have a dentist appointment, but I know. Gotta I get that checkup. I, I don't like the yep. dentist. No, I don't like the dentist either, Stephen. Yeah. My dentist is okay. Yes. I haven't gone in a while. Hmm. Good. You don't go? I should go. I don't feel like going. No. Steve, 
I am free now. Very free. You want to go for me? <laughs> what? Thank you very much. Yeah? Yes, I can go for you. What? Grace. Roberto <laughs> Benini is What's taking Stephen Wright's dentist appointment. Good, very good. <laughs> Name of the guy. Yeah, fourth But aren't they going to know it's Steve. obviously not Thank Stephen? I mean, no dental records. So I mean, come on. No. Thank you, dentist appointment. Very good. I have to go. I am sorry, Steve. Steve. Steve, yeah, I have to go to the dentist. I am late. Thank you. Excuse me, eh? I get sorry. Take it easy. Don't, don't be late. <laughs> nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. <laughs> get away. And like me, Stephen Wright is wondering what just happened? Yeah, I think that's what everyone watching this is thinking. What the hell is did I just see here? And all there's left is the good nights. So. Yeah, we got the, got the sexy sax. Yep, there's the uh, Traversina. No, Rosanna, thank you. The pleasure was all ours, Rosanna. And now you know what happened right after Game 6 of the World Series in 1986. By the way, not for nothing, Game 7 was played on a Monday. The final score was 5-8. to eight. Obviously, the Mets won. They were down 3 nothing in the bottom of the sixth inning, and the Mets finally got to Bruce Hurst. They tied the game at 3-3. The Mets scored three in the seventh. Boston scored two in the eighth. But Daryl Strawberry hit a big home run in the eighth inning to put the game away for the Mets. And that's when the Mets won the World Series. Daryl Strawberry became America's player, and Greg became a Mets fan. Yeah, at the age of two. That's the moment when I was two years old. I said, this team is so great. I'm going to be a fan of them for the rest of my life. And sure enough. That's the person I've become. <laughs> so, okay. What are our final thoughts about this episode? It follows the uh, Saturday Night Live format that has been holding strong for the last 45 years. The first set is incredible. Weekend Update is a masterpiece. This was back when Dennis Miller was at a collaboration of writers in the writer's room, and he just delivered it spot on. Uh, Rick Ocasek, you didn't hear it, but I have it on good authority because I heard it was amazing. I'm a big Cars fan, as everybody knows. The last half hour... It dragged. Yeah. It's like, it's like, on a normal week, well, back when I was a little, little Chico, on a normal week, I'd be watching Saturday Night Live, it would be 12.30, and I would just be like, 
Just let this end so we can get to its showtime at the Apollo. You're like Elaine in that one episode of Seinfeld when she was watching The English Patient with Peterman. Just end! Just end! Just end it! But yeah, Rosanna Arquette singing aside is incredibly brilliant. I love her to death. And uh, everybody in the uh, 1986 cast was also really, really brilliant. I love A. Whitney Brown's uh, big picture. And I love that he sort of kind of brought that to The Daily Show 10 years later. Uh, Kevin Nealon, we saw the beginning of greatness in that. And obviously, he's gone on to bigger and better things. And um, yeah, I mean... This was the season that we were clamoring for after the 85-86 debacle. Well, what can we say? But in the early morning hours of October 26, 1986, this was a thing on TV. But hold on, guys. Guys. Cue up the sexy sax music. It's time to play non-eBay prices Right. This is a Topps Archives fan favorites from 2003 autograph card of Ron Darling that I got at a card show recently. So the way this is going to work is you're going to be bidding on three prices. It's going to be one right price style, and you're going to guess which one of the three prices is correct. Okay. So this is either going to be $10. $12 or $15. So, Chico, I'm going to start the bidding with you. Is it going to be $10, $12, or $15? Ron Darling was the pitcher during Game 6 of the World Series, right? Well, no, he pitched Game 7. Okay, he pitched Game 7. Game 7. I believe Game 6 would have been maybe Bobby Ojeda that started. Okay, so Ron Darling... He pitched game seven. He obviously got the credit for the dub, but um, yeah, I'm going to go 15 then. Mike? No, I wouldn't pay that much. I'd go t- 12. 12? 12. $12. Chica wins. What? <laughs> because I know your spending habits, Greg. Yes. <laughs> This is going to be a Christmas gift from my brother, by the way. There's the card right here. And if Matt is listening, sorry we spoiled that for you. Oh, he's never listening to this podcast. You don't <laughs> have to worry. This is an eerie update. After he died, Elvis had his mail forwarded to a house on my street. We got junk mail. Eerie, Indiana. Episode 318, submission number 427, Eerie, Indiana. Harry, Indiana, aired on the NBC television network from September 15, 1991 to April 12, 1992 for 19 episodes. My name is Marshall Teller. Not long ago, I was living in New Jersey, just across the river from New York City. It was crowded, polluted, and full of crime. I loved it. But my parents wanted a better life for my sister and me. So we moved to a place so wholesome so squeaky clean you could only find it on TV. Unfortunately, nothing could be further from the truth. Sure, my new hometown looks normal enough, but look again. 
What's wrong with this picture? The American dream come true, right? Wrong. Nobody believes me, but this is the center of weirdness for the entire planet. Thank you, little paper boy. Eerie Indiana. My home sweet home. Still don't believe me? John Cosgrove and Terry Dunmuir, you don't necessarily think of a horror, mystery, science fiction, supernatural, family dramedy. But believe it or not, they were the producers of this show. They would actually be known for another show on NBC that follows a similar premise to this show a show that recently dropped a new season on Netflix, a show that we covered on this podcast once upon a time. It's a favorite of ours, Unsolved Mysteries. Yes, Unsolved Mysteries. Classic on NBC. But they did produce this show, which was actually created by Jose Rivera and Carl Schaefer. Carl Schaefer, of course, known for such classics as The Dead Zone, The Ghost Whisperer, and something called TV 101. I believe that centered around a classroom learning the art of television. And Jose Rivera, who also created this series, became the first Puerto Rican to be nominated for an Oscar for Best Adapted Screenplay for the film... The Motorcycle Diaries, based on Che Guevara's diary about a motorcycle trip which he and Alberto Granado had. So, on paper, these two people, one a Puerto Rican playwright, and the other, who kind of sort of dabbles in the uh, speculative, not much in common on paper. But together, they would make bit of a lasting impact with their characters centered around a town in Indiana that is truly unlike any town in Indiana or anywhere in the United States or anywhere in the world. Now, Erie, Indiana, population 16,661, was the center of weirdness in the universe. How else can we explain it? Omri Katz, who is the uh, main protagonist of the series, and with the help of his best friend Simon Holmes, they managed to unravel the many mysteries that plague Erie, Indiana. And the two of them are actually two of perhaps the most normal people you will ever meet. Probably ever. Omri Katz, who played Marshall, he was known as 
primarily a that guy from that thing, but he did have one lasting recurring role as Tony Hemingway on the 1993 short-lived series, The John Larroquette Show, which was actually his uh, first show after Night Court got canceled. John Larroquette. But hold on, you're burying the lead. Because he was in Hocus Pocus! He was in Hocus Pocus. I totally forgot about that. Yes! How could you forget he was in Hocus Pocus? I was concentrated on the witches, thank you very much. But yeah, he is a fan of the New York Giants. He grew up in New Jersey, and he constantly compares his new hometown, Erie, Indiana, to where he grew up in New Jersey, which is, in his mind, the epitome of normal. I can't even begin to unpack that statement. Nothing about New Jersey's normal. Not even the most normal part of New Jersey is normal. No. I've been in North Jersey. I've been in South Jersey. I couldn't find a single normal thing about either. He's joined by Simon Holmes, a nine-year-old best friend, who spends most of his free time hanging out with Marshall. He was a lonely child, and most of his peers in Erie shunned him. He also believes something's weird and eerie, and he's out to prove what it is. He's played by Justin Shankaro, who would be, if I'm not mistaken, one of the three kids that are central to the plot of the uh, hit CBS series Picket Fences. Yes, right. He was in Picket Fences. Mm-hmm. He also performed some additional voices in Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. I know you're into that thing, Greg. Yeah, well, we did an episode about that on another podcast. And he also voiced Player in 11 episodes, mostly the season one episodes, of Where on Earth is Carmen Sandiego? The animated series. Yes, the animated series. With Jennifer Hale and Scott Menville. And Rita Moreno as Carmen Sandiego. Rounding out the cast as Marshall's mom is Mary Margaret Humes. She plays Marilyn, who pretty much leaves the two kids to their own devices. She operates her own party planning business at the Erie Mall, and she's not an organized person at all. So how does that happen? No, it's terrible. But you know who is organized? Her husband. Her husband, Edgar, played by Francis Guinan. He works at Things Incorporated, which is a product testing company. And according to Marshall, it was his idea to leave New Jersey and move to Erie. What a stupid idea. Yeah, I'm going to leave New Jersey and we go to this random town in Indiana. Not even on the map, apparently. How did he find it if it's not on the map? Who knows? This is Erie, Indiana. Nothing makes sense. By the way, Edgar Teller, fun fact, is a nod to American nuclear physicist Edward Teller. Francis Guinan has made a lot of appearances on a lot of TV shows of this genre, like Star Trek Voyager, Sliders, Without a Trace, Star Trek Enterprise, Crossing Jordan to Practice, CSI, CSI Miami, CSI New York, Frasier, Mike and Molly, and Constantine. The movie, not the TV show. As for Mary Margaret Humes, she's 
primarily known as a that lady from that TV movie. Her last known role was as Alice in Two Tickets to Paradise. I got two tickets to paradise. You think uh, Eddie Money did the soundtrack for that movie? I couldn't tell you. <laughs> but yeah, that's the family. That's his friends. And then there are two more characters. Cindy Marie Priscilla Teller, Marshall's older sister, who is practicing for a driver's license. And much like Madison before her on She-Hulk, don't worry, we'll get to that, Cindy spells her name rather oddly. It's an S, not a C, and there is an I, but it's not where you think it is. It's not where you think. Cindy Teller was played by Julie Condra, who is not known for much. I mean, her IMDb page is really, really scant. I mean, her most notable role was as young Pat Nixon in 1995's Nixon. Oh, Pat Nixon in 1995's Nixon. Well, it wasn't quite the Nixon on the David Carvey show where there were like five different Nixons. Remember that? I do remember that, actually. And a guy in a Nixon mask for some reason. Yep. But she did star in 59 episodes as Emily DiNapoli on Santa Barbara. So she is a veteran of your stories. And then playing the role of Dash X, who is, after episode 13, a character shrouded in mystery who claims that he woke up in Weirdsville without any knowledge of how he got there, or his parents, hometown, past, or real name, is Jason Marsden, who you would remember as Rich Hawkey from the final seasons of Step by Step. By the way, he too was in Hocus Pocus. He was? Yeah, he played the voice of Thackeray Binks. Oh, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, but he had another role in the Disney universe. Several roles, but, you know, what the big one was, if you're a child of a certain age growing up in this period. Let me guess, gummy bears? No. Oh. He played Max Goof in a Goofy movie. Oh, that's right. He was the voice of Max Goof on a Goofy movie. <laughs> And he was really, really good at it. And you know what? Second best soundtrack for an animated feature. Yes, second best soundtrack. Very good soundtrack in a a Goofy movie. Yes, very good. Tevin Campbell's Eye to Eye is a banger, but it's no Space Jam. It just isn't. No. Now, we do have some recurring cast members in the show playing Mr. Radford who runs the world of stuff which is I guess what did you say Chico it's kind of like this show's version of the Max kind of yeah somewhat sort of it's the central hub the hangout at Erie Indiana I guess you could say yeah so 
playing Mr. Radford at first. We won't say who plays the other Mr. Radford, but we'll get to that. But playing the first Mr. Radford is Archie Hahn. Yes, Archie Hahn, best known for his role as teacher in song number two in 2006's John Tucker Must Die. Yes, and literally nothing else. And literally nothing else. Well, that's not true. He's been on a lot of things. He was in 18 episodes of Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman. Five episodes of The Life and Times of Eddie Roberts, whatever that is. And one episode of Notable entry that we are going to cover sometime in March, Madam's Place. That's right, Mike. This better be good, Madam's Place. I'm just saying. Don't threaten me. (laughs) It's going to be better than You Don't Know Jack. It's going to be better than the Hudson Brothers Razzle Dazzle show. And it's all I think you're expecting, right? Yeah. That's all. You know what? That's all we were expecting, and that's all we ask. Okay. And that's all you're going to get. Yeah. But okay, playing Sergeant Knight on this show. And another example of, this isn't tight casting at all. Here he goes, who had just been coming off playing Deputy Andy Brennan on one of my favorite shows, Twin Peaks. But you know what I don't love Twin Peaks as much as, guys? Ooh, ooh, me, 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 Chico, me, what me. is, what do I not love Twin Peaks as much as? You love Twin Peaks, but it's only second to Wings. That's right. Because as we revealed, oh, can you believe this? It's been 18 episodes since for the first time ever, I mentioned that I love Wings. Yeah, it made Tony Shalhoub's career. It did. I understand. Yes. Greg, thank you very much for that closure because we did just get a review of the podcast. Uh, I believe it's on Apple Podcasts, correct? Yes. And the person that reviewed actually wanted clarification about that. They wanted to know, you know why does Greg love wings and uh, whose career did it make? There's all your answers. And I think just for that, I think everybody listening should go to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star review because we reveal everything. Yep. Five stars only. Everything. 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 Five stars only because positive vibes only. Yes. But, oh, guys, guys. Oh, no. Playing the mayor. The mayor of Erie, Indiana. The mayor of... <laughs> yes. Yeah. Future Hall of Famer. Saying it right now. Future Hall of Famer. Winston Chisel. What a name. Mayor Winston Chisel. Chico, say it. Greg Itson, noted few contestants in the biggest space heel turn ever. He played that bastard Charles Logan on 24. No, no, no. He was never a face. He was always a wimp. He's At first, he's portrayed as a wimp. But then he's revealed to be like the mastermind behind all the evil on that show. Does that include that guy's knee? That guy's knee? From few, uh, from few, Greg. Do you I'm not follow this We literally had a whole episode about this. I'm sorry. I thought you were talking about something on 24. I was getting there. No, well, no. Seriously, guys. He took out a guy's knee. 
Uh, the guy almost ended up like this. Oh no! Okay. Oh, don't no. show oh, it! No, no, no! I don't need to see that! I don't need Jack, to see that! Jack, no, no, no! I don't no. need to see well, that! Now, no, no, hold on, hold on. I think somebody needs to explain what just happened because, yeah. You put up your your metal leg up on the thing. Yeah, for our first time listeners, Mike has a prosthetic leg. Not important how he got it. We're glad he's here, but he has a prosthetic leg. Yes. Yeah, there's a reason why I wasn't in episodes 101 through 110. No, 109. So that's because... why. No, 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 it was 110. No, I know because... you were at 110 because it was making it. Oh, I was there. Maybe I was still under like medication or something. But no, it's just every time you make this reference to uh, Say by the Bell uh, wedding in Hawaii, I'm like, okay, I'll just take their word for it because I, I was still in the hospital at that time. It was Say by the Bell Hawaiian style. We're not going to do... Uh, Whatever! They were in we're Hawaii. That's all Yeah, that we're not going to do wedding in Las Vegas until later. Yeah, I didn't say wedding in Vegas. I said wedding in, in Hawaii, but whatever. Look all, whatever. You, look, all you need to know is Zach Morris was being a creep to Rita Sofer. And for some reason, the Hawaiians thought Screech was a god. And for some reason, like people got fooled with Mr. Belding wearing a wig for some reason. Because it's Saved by the Bell. Ha, 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 ha. And because this is Saved by the Bell, we have to say... Zag Morris is trash. But hold on. Playing a recurring role as an anchorman, guys. Doug Llewellyn! <laughs> hey, didn't we just talk about him on the last episode? Yes, we did. No, no, we talked... No, 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 no. We talked about Kevin Nealon as Doug Llewellyn. Oh, gotcha. What needs to be said besides Doug Llewellyn? That's it. What do you think of the judge's decision? <laughs> but, oh, playing Lodgepool. Another guy we've mentioned many times on this podcast. Henry Gibson. Yes, that Henry Gibson. Yeah, from Rowan and Martin's Laughing. All right, one more. If you loved Dominic... In Kindergarten Cop, that little precocious little scamp. He was played by twins. Christian Cousins and Joseph Cousins. Those two actors play one more character. Harley Schwarzenegger Holmes. That is his Christian name. That is his given Christian name. Harley Schwarzenegger. (laughs) For some reason, Simon's parents were like, Let's give your brother the middle name of Schwarzenegger. <laughs> because I don't know what would have been like the big movie. And maybe they saw like Predator or Commando or something. And they thought, you know what? Arnold has such a great last name. Let's give him the middle name of our kid. No, I'm thinking to myself, Harley Schwarzenegger. They obviously rented the Terminator on VHS. Uh, guys, I think you're way overthinking this because Kindergarten Cop was like 1990. So th- they're clearly watching Kindergarten Cop when they came up with that name. Don't overthink it. Occam's Razor. He's right. He's right. Okay. Well, there's nothing left to do, but 
Let's go over some episodes. Alrighty. Uh, first episode is titled Foreverware. Marshall and his family are welcomed to their new home by Betty Wilson, who encourages Marshall's mom to buy Foreverware, a special type of plastic container guaranteed to keep anything fresh forever. Okay, Chico, do you want to explain the twist in this episode with okay, the mom and, and her kids? And when they say it keeps anything fresh, they really do mean anything, including Mrs. Wilson's twin sons, who have been sealed in giant foreverware boxes every night for 30 years to prevent them from aging. What's the twist? That's the twist, Chico! That's the weird twist. No, uh, you know, there's got to be pictures of the kids... Hanging uh, somewhere in the house that are aging. Dorian Gray. I was just about to say, so are we talking about a Dorian Gray sort of situation? Is this a little too uh, high class for this podcast? No. Nothing is too high class for this podcast, Mike. Nothing's too low class either, but... Yeah. Anyway, playing the role of Betty Wilson... Luann Gideon, who kids of a certain age would recognize from two shows. One as Danielle Atron on The Secret World of Alex Mack. And two as Becky Belding. Becky Belding! Mr. Belding's wife! In that one episode of Saved by the Bell when Zack and Tori were trapped in the elevator. Yep. The very same. Oh, what a great episode. And, Mike, you're not going to believe this, but when Zach and Tori deliver Mrs. Belding's baby, do you know what Mr. and Mrs. Belding decide to name the baby? Harley Schwarzenegger. No. I think I've heard this, but please fill in the gaps. They named the baby Zach. So Mr. Belding's kid is named Zach Belding. Zach Belding is trash. <laughs> Sadly, Luann Gideon is no longer with us. She died in 2014 at the young age of 58. Oh. Episode 2. The Retainer. When Steve gets a new retainer, it somehow allows him to hear the thoughts of dogs. But it turns out that man's best friend isn't so friendly after all. Marshall hooks up a tape recorder to Steve's retainer and, along with Simon, they try to figure out what the dogs are plotting. Ruh-roh! 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 Uh-oh. <laughs> I'm sorry for invoking you, Susan. <laughs> by, the, by the way, when Marshall, Simon, and Steve arrive to investigate the situation at the dog pound, they sneak past a van marked Erie, Indiana Canine Arrest Team with the words arranged to highlight the acronym CAT. Okay, but we do have some names in this episode. Playing Fifi is a French poodle named Darla, but playing her voice, Lori Hensler. That's right, from Give Me a Break. But okay, who plays the doctor in this episode, Chico? The Dr. Yukon, Dr. Yukonuba is his <laughs> name. Dr. Yukonuba. That doesn't sound familiar. It totally does go with it. 
Vincent Chiavelli, who played Dr. Kaufman on Tomorrow Never Dies, Mr. Vargas in Fast Times and Ridgemont High, and John O'Connor in the cinematic masterpiece, The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai Across the 25th Dimension. I wonder if a certain dog food company got paid for letting them use that name. Just saying. Just saying. By the way, it was across the 8th dimension, not the 25th. My mistake. I think you're confusing your centuries and your dimensions there. Eh, it happens. How many dimensions are there? No. Apparently 25. You just said that. Okay. Episode 3. ATM with a heart of gold. Oh, I got so many things to say about this episode. Marshall's dad invents Mr. Wilson, a new ATM with artificial intelligence to give it a friendly face. So friendly, in fact, that when Simon stops to chat with Mr. Wilson, the machine starts giving him money, despite him not even having a bank account, which throws the whole of Erie into bankruptcy. While Simon enjoys the newfound popularity that the money buys him, it's up to Marshall to convince him to give the money back. Yeah, Mr. Wilson, the ATM, is trying to convince Simon he's his friend. No, Simon, the ATM is not your friend. It is not your friend. But when he gets all the money, Simon, he gets, like, these new shoes that make him jump super high. Yes, because when you have money as a kid, you get new kicks. And because this is Erie, Indiana, those kicks have special abilities attached to them. You know what I would do if I was Simon, if I was a kid, and Mike, you're going to love this. I'd waste it on all the sets of NFL Pro set that I could find. Complete all the... Why? NFL... Because it's 1991! NFL Pro set's like the coolest thing at this time. But it doesn't hold its value, just saying. Yeah, that's exactly the point. And as we've established many times on this podcast... I hate money. Well, th that we know, yes. I was just about to say, uh, yeah, <laughs> there have been times on this podcast where we have to look at you and say, how much do you even make, man? And you answer the same answer. Enough. But okay, we have the first appearance of Archie Hahn as Mr. Radford. We have the first appearance of Gregory Itson as the mayor. We have our first appearance of Harry Ghost as Sergeant Knight. But okay, as a guest star in this episode, Chico, playing the role of Eddie. Scott Winger. That's right. Steve Hale from Full House. That's right. He became a foot doctor. Yeah, in uh, Fuller House, he became a foot doctor. And he and DJ finally made it official. It took him long enough. Yeah, it took so many years, but thankfully... Yeah. And one more credit that Scott Weinger did. He was the title role in the TV cartoon series Aladdin. He was Aladdin. Yeah, I think he was the voice of Aladdin in the movie, wasn't he? Yes, he was. Not the singing voice, the speaking voice. The speaking Brad voice Kane, of Aladdin. Brad Kane was the singing voice. Yes, we all know that. Mm-hmm. And... Another name in this episode playing the role of Nicholas was Gabriel Damon, who played the voice of Nemo in Little Nemo Adventures in Slumberland, if you remember that. 
He was also Spot in Newsies and Todd in two episodes of Baywatch. Oh, Baywatch. But he was also Lyle in two episodes of Punky Brewster. And, oh, we mentioned Call to Glory in the Street Hawk episode. He was in the Call to Glory as R.H. Sarnak. Oh, good. So he shared probably screen time with Keenan Wynn. That's terrific. Yes. And yes, he is the reason that Rex Smith got canceled. Damn it! Okay, episode four, The Losers. When Marshall's dad loses his briefcase containing his latest invention, it could cost him more than just his job, since the briefcase was a gift from his wife. Uh-oh! Uh-oh. So Marshall and Simon need to find out where the lost things go in order to get the briefcase back. Yep. Oh, by the way, did I mention that several episodes of this show were directed by Joe Dante? No. Well, actually, you just did. Yeah. Yeah, Joe Dante at this time, he would have been just coming off a roll of hits after hits with Gremlins, Explorers, Inner Space. Gremlins 2, the new batch, would have come out a year earlier. And, um, yeah. Playing uh, the role of Al in this episode is one of uh, Joe Dante's regulars, Dick Miller. Yep, he would work, if I'm not mistaken, alongside Mr. Lodgepool, who makes the uh, first appearance in this episode. Yep, so Henry Gibson making his first appearance in this episode. Yep, and by the way, Mr. Lodgepool likes to put lost labels on things, and one of the things he puts a lost label on is a pod from Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Which is also seen in Grumblins 2, also directed by Joe Dante. Oh, but episode 5. <laughs> and this is funny, considering this aired on a Sunday night on NBC, and what was probably opposite it. Probably, yes. Scariest home videos. It's Halloween! Shocker. And Marshall and Simon are stuck at home babysitting Simon's younger brother, Harley. Harley Schwarzenegger Holmes. But the night isn't as boring as they expected. When they leave Harley watching a monster movie, he somehow gets zapped into the TV. And while Harley's trapped in the TV, the mummy from the movie is running wild in the house. And the boys need to find a way to switch them back again before Marshall's parents get home. Uh-oh! Uh-oh. Talk about your adventures in babysitting, am I right? Now, Craig, didn't we mention last week about people uh, getting into TV shows or movies? In the movies, uh, it happened to she episode? Yeah, and she Wolf of London last week. Right. And I told you it's happened in the past. There's your proof. And obviously, it'd be done in much better effect in Last Action Hero. Oh, yeah. Oh, hey, there is a name I want to mention. Playing a little girl in this episode is Taylor Fry. Yeah. Yeah, we talked about her earlier this year because she played the kid of the neighbors on Get a Life. Robin Riker and Sam Robard's kid. And also one of the uh, three kids that Kirk Cameron has to take care of in Kirk. Kirk. That's the name of the TV show. Kirk. Kirk. They couldn't come up with a better name. There's just Kirk. Eh. Kirk. 
It was like they tried for like days and days. What can we come? You know, let's just call it Kirk. Who cares? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This one gets filed under an attempt was made. Okay, by the way, we have another interesting name of note here, playing the role of Sir Boris von Orloff, a man by the name of Tony Jay, who is a that voice from that thing. He played the role of Virgil on Mighty Max, which also featured as a character named Norman Richard Maul. I only say this because we love Richard Maul around here. Sadly, no longer with us. Episode 6. Just say no fun. When Marshall and Simon get into trouble at school, they're surprised to find that instead of detention, they get sent to have an eye test. But with his new glasses, Simon seems to have lost his sense of fun, and all he wants to do is study. Marshall soon realizes that Nurse Nancy has been hypnotizing students, turning them into zombies to make them behave. So basically, we're looking at a Ritalin situation here? Yeah, something like that. And playing the role of Nurse Nancy is Lucy Lee Flippin, who I don't believe has done anything of any... Well, actually, she... Yo, we've talked about her! She was Officer Rena Starland in The Last Precinct! Yes! Oh, now I remember. Now that's it! Now she looks from... Yes! Yeah, that... You know what? That jostled my brain hole. So yeah, go back to that episode around this time last year, if I'm not mistaken. Episode 7. Heart on a Chain. Melanie arrives in Erie, and both Marshall and his friend Devin fall for her. But when Devin is killed in an accident and his heart is transplanted into Melanie's body, she starts to act a lot like him. Playing the role of Devin is Corey Danzinger, who was actually in The Burbs in 1989, and that was pretty much the most notable thing he's done with his career. Well, hold on. Who directed The Burbs? Who directed The Burbs? Joe Dante. I swear to God, if you say Joe Dante. Joe Dante! Playing the role of Melanie would be Danielle Harris, who you would remember from Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers, and Halloween 5, The Revenge of Michael Myers. And as a credited cameo as Annie Brackett in both Rob Zombie's Halloween from 2007 and Rob Zombie's Halloween 2 from 2009. I'm sorry, I only recognize Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. Of course. Well, okay, I'll give you a little bit more of a mainstream reference, Greg, that you will definitely get. Yeah. She was Debbie Thornberry in the Wild Thornberries. Yeah, she was. And also played Sierra on Father of the Pride. Future installment, if there ever is one. Father of the Pride, oh my gosh. The animated lions, just saying. And a cameo. Yeah. Yeah, and Temple was made. But also, you get a cameo from Donkey from Shrek. But okay, hold on, Chico. Hold on. Episode 8. Now, hold on, Chico. Before we talk about this episode, let me just state. 
We got a very big name in this episode as a guest star. And yes, I thought, we do. And I thought, oh, there's only going to be one other time we're ever going to talk about him in the history of this podcast. Well, guess what? Apparently now it's going to be two. The episode is called The Dead Letter. While looking through some old books at World of Stuff, Marshall discovers an old letter written 62 years ago, but never delivered. That's when he meets Trip McConnell, the letter's author, who is now a ghost and wants Marshall's help to finally deliver the letter to his childhood sweetheart. Playing the role of Trip McConnell's ghost, Toby Maguire. Get yeah. on up! Come on and grab your fucking soul! Everybody, come on and grab your fucking soul! Now, you see, Mike won't get it, but we were doing that stupid dance he did in Spider-Man 3. Yeah. So, yeah, we talked about Matt Smith's stupid dance in Morbius, and now we're talking about the other stupid dance in a Spider-Man-related movie. But, of course, he would have also been in a Spider-Man movie with Andrew Garfield and Tom Holland. They were Spider-Men together. And they couldn't find a way home. They couldn't find a way home. There was literally no way home. Yeah. Oh, and you know who else was trying to deny them an opportunity to get home? Who else? Woo! What the hell is that? That's eugenics. Yeah. Okay, episode nine. Who's who? Marshall and Simon meet a shy young artist, Sarah Bob, and her riotous brothers. When Marshall's stolen bicycle mysteriously reappears after Sarah Bob signs her drawing of it, she realizes that she can change reality with her pictures and sets about creating the perfect family. But she chooses Marshall's mom to replace her own absent mother, and the boys must persuade her to put things right again. And playing the role of Sarah Bob is Chanel Gray, who would have been going by Chanel Workman at this time. And she's been a voice in a whole lot of really big video games, including Mass Effect, Kingdom Hearts, and Thrillville, whatever that is. That is, I believe, a LucasArts roller coaster themed game. Ah. Okay. But it's not as big as Mass Effect or Kingdom Hearts, obviously. Obviously. Episode 10, The Lost Hour. When Marshall discovers that Eerie doesn't have daylight saving time, he's determined not to miss out on the extra hour and sets his watch back anyway. But the next day, everyone in Eerie has disappeared except for some creepy garbage collectors and a strange milkman who explains that messing with time has transported Marshall to a parallel dimension. Before Marshall can get back to his own time, he must rescue a girl who got trapped in the Lost Hour the year before. But okay, before we get into the guest stars, I want to note who wrote this episode and who was the director of this episode. Because one of the writers in this episode is Vance DeGeneres. Brilliant mind. Brilliant. Yes, Ellen's brother. And the director? Bob Balbin. Brilliant mind. Brilliant. Yes. yes. But also, 
he would be best known for playing Warren Littlefield in The Late Shift on HBO. But also, he was in Seinfeld. He was the NBC executive who joined Greenpeace to get Elaine's love. Yikes. Just, yikes. And playing the role of Janet, the girl that Marshall has to rescue before he can get back to his own dimension. Oh, oh, I want to say it. I want to say it. Go. Nikki Cox. Nice. The former Mrs. J. Moore. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh, that's right. She Jay married Moore. Jay Moore after she divorced Bobcat Goldblade. Slight correction here. Nikki Cox and Bobcat Goldthwaite were never married. They were just partners. Oh, and also, do you see what her first credit was? What's her first credit? Greg, sit down. Okay. Mac and me. <laughs> I feel like going to McDonald's, but I don't know why. Oh, she's an uncredited dancer. So she's probably with uh, Jennifer Aniston in that one scene in the parking lot. Because... That's how you settle things in 1988 with dance battles in a McDonald's parking lot. And in case you don't know who Nikki Cox is, she played Tiffany Malloy, who was sort of like Kelly Bundy-ish, unhappily ever after. Except she was smarter. And also, don't forget the voice of the rabbit on that show, Bobcat Goldthwait. It all ties in beautifully together. Oh my god, I forgot Kevin Connolly from Entourage was the brother in that show. I forgot that. I had forgotten that E from Entourage was on Unhappily Ever After. And on that note, let's take a short commercial break. Wednesday on NBC Premier Week, an all-new night court. Dan was down and out. Now he's back, haunting the courthouse. I am the phantom. Will he finally have his way with his captive, Christine? And what's he doing with that accordion? We can't tell you now. Watch Night Court, premiering on NBC Wednesday. Wednesday on NBC Premier Week, an all-new Quantum Leap, four years in the making. Sam finally returns home to the future and his forgotten love. I love you, Sam. This is the leap you never thought you'd see. Will he give it all up to save a friend? I can't let him die. And I can't let you go. A must-see Quantum Leap, NBC Wednesday. some storm we had last night. At times like this, it's reassuring to know that MetLife has the resources to pay every single customer claim, no matter how many come in at one time. Get Met. It pays. The Dolphins. The Oilers. Moon over Miami. Sunday. selling sedan in the country the best selling import in utah and the number one car in customer satisfaction for 14 years so you'll excuse us if we toot our own horn a bit hello 16 tons and what do 
Arthritis, tendonitis, backache, tough pain that needs the dual action therapy of Icy Hot. Icy to dull the pain, hot to relax it away. Icy Hot, Icy and Hot Therapy for pain. Converse. Slam Conquest. Slam, slam, slam. It's real light, which I like. And it's good looking, which the guys cover me like. Because they get to see a lot of it right at eye level. Get the Slam Conquest only at Foot Locker. Okay, episode 11. Marshall's Theory of Believability. Professor Zircon, renowned authority on the parabelievable, announces that an extraterrestrial object he is tracking will land in Erie. Marshall and Simon are thrilled to see the professor's museum and hope that they finally found someone who might believe them. Marshall's dad, on the other hand, doesn't believe any of it and is worried that Marshall will be disappointed when he discovers that Professor Zircon is a fraud. Playing the role of Professor Zircon, John Standing known as Lilliman in V for Vendetta. Oh, V for Vendetta. Classic. He was in 12 episodes of the first Churchills from 1969. In the UK, of course. In the UK. But okay, playing the role of Cord is Michael J. Pollock. And I want to mention this because, guys, he played Benny in a 1995 episode of my favorite show, Wings. Wings. Yes! And as we all know, Wings made Tony Shalhoub's career. Indeed it did. Episode 12, Tornado Days. It's Tornado Day in Erie, but Marshall decides to stay home while the rest of the town is out to celebrate the annual return of Old Bob the Tornado. When a crazy meteorologist crash lands his tornado rider into Marshall's garden, he explains that old Bob is a tornado with a big ego and doesn't take kindly to Marshall's boycott of the celebrations. Playing the role of old Bob is a tornado. (laughs) Actually, true story, old Bob is credited as... Self. <laughs> man, that was some great acting by that tornado. Give him the Emmy, man. Oh, he should have won all the Emmys. All the Emmys, man. Hey, how about two real names? Okay. Playing the weatherman named Wally in this episode is Kelly Connell. Two credits I want to mention. One played Carter Pike on Picket Fences. And, oh my gosh, I don't want to cover this one day, but I think we have to cover it one day. He played Ulysses S. Grant on The Secret Diary of Desmond Pfeiffer. Yes! The Secret Diary of Desmond Pfeiffer! Yes! I can't wait for when we ever cover it. Marginally, marginally worse than Carter Country. What are you talking about? What is marginally worse? No, there's no marginally worse. It was worse. What are you talking about? I was being facetious. What are you guys? What are you talking about? In the universe of Quirks, the animated series, there's an entire burger chain based on Desmond Pfeiffer. I thought it's Desmond Pfeiffer because that's how I think they pronounce it on the show, to be honest. Yeah. Well, for some reason on Quirks, they pronounced it Desmond Pfeiffer. I don't know why. 
I whatever. I don't. You know what? Whatever. Desmond Pfeiffer. Desmond Pfeiffer. Same thing. All right. Let me give you a, a little palate cleanser. Uh, a better name. Yes. Playing Howard Raymer in this episode is Matt Frewer, and where you'd know him from, he was Max Headroom. Max Headroom. Max. Max. Hey Edison, you look kind of like me. I I I I I wonder why that is. Mr. Wilson, why are you stealing my gimmick? Gimmick. And also, we'll eventually talk about him because we have to cover this show at some point. Doctor Doctor. Oh uh, yeah, that was a really good show. Uh, he also did voice work. He was the bishop on twelve episodes of Castlevania, and he was. And I still don't know whose idea this was. He was the voice of the Pink Panther in the 1990s reboot of the Pink Panther. Hold on. They gave a voice to the Pink Panther in this remade cartoon? Yes. In 1995, they rebooted the Pink Panther as like a weekly animated series and gave the Pink Panther a voice. Now, I love Matt Brewer as much as the next guy, but really? Okay, I'm not really concerned about the revival, but Pink Panther having a voice, that's wrong. That's horrible. Just saying. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I love Pink Panther as much as the next guy. I love Max Brewer as much as the next guy. The two of them together? No. Okay, episode 13. The Hole in the Head Gang. Now, this is the first appearance of Jason Morrison as Dash X. But, okay, I said that when we get to this point with Mr. Radford as Archie Han, that there's another character playing Mr. Radford because it's revealed in this episode that the Mr. Radford from the entire series is an imposter. What? Yes! Apparently, there's a real Mr. Radford, and the Archie Hot Mr. Radford took his identity. So, okay, playing the real Mr. Radford, guys. John Aston. Ah, the father of Sean and Mackenzie. And the husband of Patty Duke. Well, I'd say the widower of Patty Duke, but however you want to phrase it. Yeah. Another known name on this episode, playing the role of Grungy Bill, that is his name, Plot Akins. I'm oh, Sheriff Lobo. <laughs> okay, but hold on. We didn't describe this episode, so let's uh, describe Let's describe it. the episode. Okay, so... Marshall and Simon investigate an old haunted mill they discover is just a hoax, set up by a mysterious boy with gray hair. That would, of course, be Dash X. But then the three of them uncover an old rusted gun and the ghost of grungy Bill, Erie's worst bank robber, who failed to rob the Erie Bank 13 times. The last time, he forgot his gun. He forgot his gun! That's the most important part of a bank robbery. How can you forget your gun? No, it's not the most important part of the bank robbery. You know what the most important part of the bank robbery is? What? The wool mask you wear over their face, dude. Oh, that's right. 
Anyway, Bill is doomed to haunt the old mill forever unless Marshall can help him to successfully rob the bank. Kids, don't rob a bank. By the way, we learned that Mr. Radford, in air quotes, his real name is Fred Suggs. Fred kind of, Suggs. Fred Suggs. Kind of uh, reminiscent of Fred Muggs, the uh, chimpanzee meteorologist. From the Today Show. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Who, by the way, as of the time we're recording this in October of 2022, Jay Fred Muggs is still alive. Mr. Smith, however, still very much dead. He is still very much dead. All right, episode 14, Mr. Cheney. Every 13 years, Erie holds a lottery to select the next Harvest King, who must go into the woods to face the Erie Wolf. Marshall and Simon discover that none of the previous winners have ever returned, and when the kid with the gray hair, Dash X, realizes that the lottery's rigged, he makes sure that Marshall will win. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Playing the role of Mr. Cheney, Stephen Root, course of News Radio and King of the Hill. And Barry. And Barry. Now, don't get Greg, Greg, correct the man. Say what you're going to say, because I think you're going to say the same thing I'm going to say. I said Barry. Well, what are you going to say, Mike? I was going to say he was Milton on Office Space. Don't oh, touch yeah. his red stick. Oh, yeah. Um, That's right. And, of course, Dodgeball. Let's not forget Stephen Root was also in Dodgeball. He did a lot of memorable roles. He was Milton in Office Space, Jimmy James on News Radio, William Fontaine Delator Dotrieve on King of the Hill. Episode 15 No Brain, No Pain. Marshall and Simon witness a homeless man being attacked by a woman with a ray gun. A ray gun? And decide to help him out. Although the man mumbles nonsense and seems fascinated by electronics, the boys suspect that there's more to him than that, and perhaps he's not as crazy as everyone believes. But things get really weird when they turn on the strange contraption the man was making. Playing that man, Charles Burnell, Paul Sand. Just talked about him last week. Mm-hmm. Sure did. By the way, in a case of is this typecasting, he was actually in a short film called Queer Eye for the Homeless Guy, where he played Harry the Homeless Guy. And in the role of Eunice Danforth, the lady with the ray gun, Anita Morris. She was actually in an episode of Future Entry Good Grief and Future Entry WIOU. And never cover Tales from the Crypt. But she was actually in all 13 episodes of another future entry, Down and Out in Beverly Hills. Another show about a homeless person. Episode 16. The Loyal Order of Corn. When Mr. Teller joins Erie's local lodge, the Loyal Order of Corn, Marshall and Simon decide to investigate. They discover that the Order is building what appears to be a giant TV screen, but Simon steps into it and gets transported into another planet. Meanwhile, the kid with the gray hair, now calling himself Dash X, suspects that the Lodge's bartender, Ned, may have the answers to some of his questions. Playing 
the role of bartender Ned. He's my favorite Martian, Ray Walston. Jeez, how many members of the cast of Picket Fences are going to be in this show? Most of them. Also, please, let's not forget, he played Mr. Hand on Fast Times at Ridgemont High. And we can't forget about my favorite Martian. I just mentioned that. Okay. Hey, did you know uh, he was on my favorite Martian, Greg? (laughs) But you know what? Hold on. Let me just check one thing in in his IMDb. Yeah, check if he's on my favorite Martian, please. (laughs) No, not that. Oh, hold on. He was in an episode of Parker Lewis Can't Lose in 1991. Is this going to be another one of those moments where you tell us how Parker Lewis can't lose? Yeah, he can't lose. Yeah. You know who directed this episode and produced Parker Lewis can't lose? Who? Brian Spicer. Oh, okay. You know what else he directed? What else did he direct? Mighty Morphin Power Rangers the movie! Yay! (laughs) Episode 17. Zombies in PJs. The IRS threatens to shut down the world of stuff, and in desperation, Radford signs a contract with a new partner who calls himself the Donald. Does this look like anything? As the new marketing campaign takes subliminal advertising to a new level, sleepwalking customers start buying everything in sight on credit, and even Marshall and Simon can't resist signing on the dotted line. But they should have read the small print. I love this line. This is uh, from IMDb. In a full-on satire of capitalism, the central character, played by René Aubergenois, look him up, introduces himself. Donald Churkenblagenhagenblagen is the name, but you could just call me the Donald. The same nickname being used in the popular press by this time for... Mr. Black. The send-up of capitalism, marketing, consumerism, and advertising is summarized when Marshall confronts the Donald. Nobody turns my family into zombies and gets away with it. The Donald retorts, they're not zombies, they're consumers. As Dash X chimes in, yeah, besides, how can you tell the difference? But yeah, like we mentioned, the Donald... Donald Hagenflagenflagen is played by René Abagenois, which we've mentioned numerous times on this show. Yeah, Odo. But also, he was uh, Clayton running me to Endicott III on Benson, long running. But also, and I think we've mentioned this in the past, he was on an episode of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. You know what? We were long overdue for an It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia callback. Yeah, he was uh, Dee's acting coach on the episode The Gang Gets a New Member. (laughs) One of the better episodes, if you ask me. And also, it should be noted, Dee, not a good actor. No. No. It's established most of the series. She absolutely sucks at acting. This is a fact. Uh, Chuck Testa can de-act. Nope. Didn't think so. Okay, episode 18. This is the last aired episode on NBC. Now, there was one unaired episode, but it did air later 
when it was syndicated on the Disney Channel in the 90s, in around uh, late 93. Yes, it's called Reality Takes a Holiday. Marshall finds a script in his mailbox for a TV show called Erie, Indiana. What? It's a script for a TV show called Erie, Indiana. How is this possible, Chico? It's Erie, Indiana. Anything is possible. Anyway, as he starts reading, he realizes that it's describing him, and he suddenly finds himself on a TV set where his family are just actors, and everyone calls him Omri. Things get even worse when he discovers a plot by Dash X to become the new star of the show, and the script says that Marshall's about to be killed! Uh-oh! Uh-oh! <laughs> but okay, hold on. You want meta? I don't what? think we could get any more meta than we already are! But go on! Playing the director in this episode, Joe Dante is playing the director. <laughs> and then we have the actual writer of the script, Jose Schaefer, which is a sort of a portmanteau of the two creators' names. Mark Blankfield, we talked about him in previous installments, The Nut House. That's right, The Nut House, which also had Gregory Yetzin. Yep. But okay. Playing girl number two in this episode. Not girl number one, girl number two. And we've discussed her in a live show last year. Denise Richards. Because she played Edge's wife in the cinematic masterpiece, Money Plane. <laughs> Want my goddamn money, Jack? Oh my gosh. Oh dear. So that was basically episode 18. There is one more episode, The Broken Record. Now this episode aired in syndication on the Disney Channel on December 9th, 1993. When Todd is unhappy at home, his unemployed father is always shouting at him, but when Marshall suggests some heavy metal to cheer up his friend, Todd finds he can relate to the lyrics, perhaps a little too much, as he changes dramatically into a rebellious headbanger. Can it be just the music affecting Todd, or is there some eerie weirdness going on? Meanwhile, Marshall's parents are worried that Cindy's safety, as she rides along with a local police officer, pursuing her interest in becoming a reporter. I'm pretty sure this is how Veronica Mars started. But, yep, that's the show. Yep, they literally saved the weakest episode for last. Which is probably a good thing. Oh, definitely a good thing. And this show was well-received. Entertainment Weekly gave it a B rating. As Ken Tucker said in his review of it, you basically watch this show for the small-screen spectacle of it all. And in his review for The Hollywood Reporter, Miles Beller wrote, Scripted by Carl Schaefer and Jose Rivera with smart, sharp insights and silently directed by feature film hensman Joe Dante and given edgy life by the show's cast, Erie, Indiana shapes up to be one of the fall season's standouts. 
So this was a very well-received, very well-written, very well-produced, and very well-performed TV show. Yeah, and basically, I mentioned how Harry Ghost was playing basically a role, kind of sort of like his character on Twin Peaks. And you can tell this show is basically inspired by Twin Peaks. It was going to be a mini Twin Peaks, as it were. Yeah, with all the weirdness and everything. Of course, the weirdness, this being a kid's show, was turned up logically to 11. So yeah, what happened with this show? Because obviously this was one and done. Yeah, I could give you two words as to what happened to this show. Oh, let me guess. Does it involve a number? Yes. And does it involve a certain unit of time? Yes. Okay, because I remember back when I was a kid, this would air right after NFL football on NBC. But also, if NFL football was wrapping up on CBS around this same time, what would be on CBS after football? 60 Minutes. That'll do it. Yep. The old well, what's that old joke? How do you kill a TV show? You put it on opposite 60 minutes. And sure enough, not only did Harry Indiana last one season at the seven o'clock hour, so did The Adventures of Mark and Brian, future entry there. Wh- and... Wait, what the hell is The Adventures of Mark and Brian? I don't re- It says a lot that I remember Erie Indiana. Obviously, for other reasons, but I don't remember what the adventures of Mark and Brian were. Mark and Brian were like a morning DJ crew for KLOS in Los Angeles, if I'm not mistaken. And also, the rest of the Sunday lineup on NBC, because without that strong lead-in, the rest of the lineup just fell apart. Of course, going up against A, the NFL, and B... The MLB postseason in 1991. Yeah, because that would have been the World Series on CBS between the Minnesota Twins and the Atlanta baseball franchise. Yeah. Of course, NBC did find something to plug the lineup and keep it from hemorrhaging viewers. It put Unsolved Mysteries on at 8. I mean, it couldn't hold a candle to... America's Funniest Home Videos, or Murder, She Wrote, or In Living Color. But it did decent numbers enough. Yeah, Sunday Nights at 8 in 1991, that was a pretty stacked, like, four shows on top of each other. A little something for everyone. America's Funniest Home Videos for the family, Murder, She Wrote for Nana and Pop Pop, In Living Color for the kids, and Unsolved Mysteries for everyone else. Because we all know the kids love Robert Stack. The kids love Robert Stack. Help us solve a mystery. No, I'd rather go back half an hour and help two kids solve a fictional mystery. How about that? But yeah, Erie, Indiana, with uh, that time slot, just never got off the ground. But it did have a bit of a legacy. Because Alex Hirsch, who created Gravity Falls for the Disney Channel cited Erie, Indiana as one of the uh, inspirations for that show. By the way, Gravity Falls, imagine 
Twin Peaks or Erie, Indiana, but animated. I can definitely see that. Yeah, absolutely. If you've never seen Gravity Falls, please check it out. It's a darn yeah. good show. It's um, Jason Ritter and uh, Kristen Schaal on it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Really good show. And also, there were 17 books, 17 YA books released continuing the story of Erie, Indiana. Because, okay, now, this did air in reruns, I remember, on the Disney Channel, but also, in 1997, this show would get a second life because reruns of it would air on the Fox Kids block. On the strength of the numbers for the original Erie, Indiana, Fox Kids teamed up with Global to produce a spinoff or a sequel series called Erie, Indiana, The Other Dimension, which followed another two kids and another family in this strange Indiana town. But that's another story for another thing on TV. As we mentioned, there was YA books based on Erie, Indiana. There's 17 of them, I believe. Is that correct? 17 books? 17, correct. Okay. And they must have sold really well, I remember. I remember seeing these at Borders Books around 97, 98. That was like in the era where you had like Goosebumps, and that was like the biggest thing in YA at the time. Of course, this was obviously before the days, as I've mentioned many times, when you could make a series of YA books and they would make like four or five movies out of it. Yeah, this did the other way. You took a TV show and made YA books out of it. Yeah. But still, yeah, bit of a legacy and bit of a cult following that persists to this day. You can, because a DVD was released, you can still watch Erie, Indiana, thanks to Alpha Video, who released the DVD with all of the episodes on it. Or, of course, you can watch all of the episodes for free, legally, with ads, on YouTube. Yes, but also, you can watch them on Freebie. Yep, they are on Amazon Freebie, as we speak. So, okay, any final thoughts on Erie, Indiana, Chico? That seems up your speed. I know you like Twin Peaks, and this is very much a kid's version of Twin Peaks. Yep. And nobody dies except for that one guy that one time. That one guy that one time. We don't have any, like, Laura Palmer wrapped in plastic, thankfully, on this show. But you know what? Let's review. We got, like, an Elvis impersonator for some reason living in the town. Great stuff. Old Elvis. Old Elvis. You got Gregory Itzen playing a jerk. That's great. You got John Aston. That's great. Jason Morrison. That's great. And got Henry Gibson. Henry Gibson. This entire show was great. But unfortunately, against 60 minutes, it became just another thing on TV. But thankfully, Fox Kids did give it a second life. And it still has the cult following to this day. Yes, it does. And thank goodness it does, because most kids' TV nowadays, completely unwatchable. Oh, 
Yeah, definitely. This show made you laugh and think. And also question the nature of your reality. So, you can visit Erie, Indiana, or you can visit It Was a Thing on TV.com, where we have all of our episodes, all of our live watches, all of our mini-sodes, including the one we have coming up later this week. But in the meantime, don't forget to follow us on all of our socials at It Was a Thing on TV. Instead of Facebook, because Facebook is run by the last winner of the lottery to meet the wolf, Mark Zuckerberg, that would be It Was a Thing on TV podcast. And remember, like, subscribe to our YouTube, subscribe where all fine podcasts can be streamed. And if you are on YouTube, don't forget to hit the notification bell so you can stay up to date on all of our future entries, including what we have planned for next week. Now, next week, it's the beginning of November. We have two apropos entries, let's just say. And one of them is the one you voted for. As a reminder, you can follow us on all of our socials. We have links to the polls for our Election Day Viewers Choice special. Yeah, Greg, but unfortunately, at the time we're recording this, this episode is released the day after the poll ended. So you already know who won. That is right. You voted for it. We're going to cover it. <laughs> oh, hold on before we do. Now, of course, this is after the poll has already ended. I should mention Chico. Mm-hmm. I should have said this in the last episode, but I mentioned how Dana Carvey and David Spade have a podcast in the Facebook chat on SNL. Yes. In one of the episodes, the episode with Vanessa Bear, David Spade admitted that it mentions the time when he auditioned for the new monkeys. He was going there on the strength of his comic chops and his skateboarding skills. That's right, those skateboarding skills he mastered perfection in Police Academy 4. And the kicker is, he was a big fan of the monkeys and he knew exactly what he was getting into. He could not sing for crap. No. Could no, you imagine? Could, could you imagine how different history would be if David Spade was in the new monkeys? It would be crazy, let's just say. I think awkward is the word you're looking for. Before we wrap up the drop for the week here on the Place to Be Nation, Greg and Chico are going to look at the opening to WCW Halloween Havoc 1993. Enjoy as Tony tortures some poor Atlanta area trick or treaters. Minnesota 23, submission 1349, the opening to WCW Halloween Havoc 1993. The opening to WCW Halloween Havoc 1993 happened, well, obviously, on the WCW Halloween Havoc 1993 pay-per-view on the night of October 24th, 1993. Well, Chico, as the night we're recording this on October 22nd, 2022, WWE is having their NXT Halloween Havoc special on Peacock right now. Yep. I am not watching it right now, but if I knew about it, I probably would be. Yeah. And of course, Halloween Havoc 
was the name of WCW's annual pay-per-view from 1989 to 2000. But there was a segment in the 1993 WCW Halloween Havoc that I remember as a kid that has been on my mind, Chico, for 29 years. Been on your mind for 29 years? Yes. It must have you shook by now. Yeah, and I really want to talk about it with somebody because it's so bizarre. Okay. The Halloween Havoc 93 pay-per-view. We have a big spin the wheel, make the deal match between Vader and Cactus Jack McFoley. And it's going to be an exciting show. You have Rick Root against Ric Flair on the show. So this is going to be one heck of a show on pay-per-view. And you're just so excited for this. And, well... To start this show, WCW decided to have a very weird segment with these kids trick-or-treating right before the show started. So, Well, it is Halloween Havoc. Yes. So, let's get going with this bizarre segment. And we're somewhere... In the neighborhood of Atlanta, Georgia. I would have thought that we're somewhere near Tulane because this takes place in New Orleans this year. Yeah, I know, but WCW is in Atlanta, so. I know. By the way, I love how this kid's wearing a Sting t shirt with the Sting face paint. That's appropriate. Yeah. But still, it's like, is that the laziest Halloween costume you could have? You couldn't, like, have your mom make, like, a sting jacket? Yeah. Remember, this is 1993, so. Look, you have been picking houses all night long. Now it's my turn. Yeah, that's only because we ended up with two pieces of last year's Christmas fruitcake from the last one you picked. Yeah! Whatever house you pick better be good. Good? You want good? This will be better than good. This one will be great. Oh, he's confident this is going to be great. Oh, it's a spooky house! That looks okay. Yeah, that looks good. Looks good. Looks good! Looks good. Looks good! Oh no, they're trapped inside. That's not good. No. This place is creepy. What are you guys, babies or something? This place ain't that bad. Well, look at it, Matt. It looks like it's haunted. Let's just go home and watch Halloween Havoc and forget all about this place. I agree with the kid in the stink face paint. Oh gee, I wonder who's at the door. Oh! Ooh, uh, I think I hear mom calling. Sister, what a pain. Who brought her? Tony oh my Schiavone. god! Hi, kids. Wow, it's Tony Schiavone. Hey, He's scary. 
up in a few minutes. <laughs> so a helicopter is gonna pick up Tony Schiavone in a few minutes. Is he gonna take the kids with him? Think about this for a moment, Chico. How could a helicopter land near his house? Yeah, it's gated, and he has, like, vaulted roofs. It's just not feasible. No. What's that smell, Tony? It's my wife. She's baking. Cookies. Oh. Uh, yeah, cookies. Only a kind of mother could make. Ooh. Why don't you come inside and have a bite of her? Please. You know what, Chico? After listening to uh, Tony's podcast on what happened when with Conrad Thompson, I can totally buy that Lois Shivani would be good at baking some cookies and that they'd only be the kind of mother could make. That sounds dirty. Oh, indeed. Something scary. I'm looking at something scary right now. Oh. They're gonna cook the kids, aren't they? No, just wait. I was no. just about to ask that. All things are possible on All Hallows Eve. Frightening. Chilling things like spin the wheel, make the deal. Just one haunting spin will lock Cactus Jack Invader in combat when it lands on one of its many foolish haunting matches. <laughs> That's not gonna be scary. If you yeah, it is. Look, kid, haven't you ever seen Mick Foley do insane stuff? Mick Foley is, in and of himself, scary. Yes! That's his thing. Oh, now Tony's gonna... Okay. Oh, he's had enough. You guys want to be really scared? Yes. Get a load of this. What is Tony going to do? <laughs> oh, oh. Let's get out of here. oh, my God. Hey, it's man thing. No, just call him Ted, kids. Call him Ted and it'll stop. And that's the opening. Greg, what the hell did I just watch? That's exactly the thing I've been wondering for the last 29 years. This was WCW in 1993. They were wasting money all over the place at Turner. It was just like Eric Bischoff said to himself, just another more year until the Hulkster comes. Just another year until the Hulkster comes. I mean... I read what happened at Halloween Havoc. I mean, you have a pre-Attitude Era Steve Austin taking on Dustin. 
Rhodes. Yes, before he was Gold Dust. And I'm like, really? Yeah. And you can watch this all to your heart's content right now on Peacock if you wanted to. There are at least 10 or 15 Halloween Havocs before the reboot in 2008, I want to say. No, 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 no. I'm trying to think. When did they start NXT Halloween Havoc? Because I know they rebooted Great American Bash, but that was like under, like before they had. It was 2020. It was 2020. 2020 was the first Halloween Havoc. So let's see. 89 through 2000, so it'd be, let's see. 12. 12. So this would, this, right now, this is the 15th Halloween Havoc. So, yep. counting the NXT one. So, yeah, you watch that and all the other 14 Halloween Havocs on Peacock if you wanted to. And like the last two, this one's taking place live from the WWE Performance Center in Orlando, Florida. Because reasons. Because WWE probably doesn't want to spend the money to have their talent go out maybe next year maybe next year it'll be someone well now that hunter's running the whole show now with stephanie and nick Khan, now that vince is gone for reasons you yeah. know reasons because reasons but you know what chico in 1993 tony shivani managed to become I don't know what it was he became, but he showed those kids something really scary. Yeah. The lack of brownies. That's what he showed them. Or cookies. The lack of cookies. Yeah, Tony Schiavone wrote a check that that sketch did not cash. But you know what? We still love you, Tony. Yeah. You gave us... Actually... You turned into a thing on TV. That's right. See what we did there? Yeah. Well, guys, yeah, as you're doing the wrong glass face. Well, that's going to do it for this thing on TV. We'll see you with some more stuff real soon. Row! Terrible Wolverine at World Championship Wrestling presents Halloween Havoc 93. What dangers will the world reveal? When Cactus Jack spins for revenge against the Vader, spin the wheel! Live in Halloween Havoc 93, Sunday, October 24th, 7 p.m. Eastern, only on pay per view. Call the local cable operator for availability. Cool, I'm gonna make it right now. What do you mean I'm 29 years too late? Card subject to change. Next week on It Was a Thing on TV. Sunday on Mr. President. You see him as a husband. I see him as the most powerful leader in the free world. Can the first lady trick the president into spending time with his family? How dare you go behind my back and try to manipulate me. Mr. President. I keep thinking the leader of the free world should have better legs. Sunday on Fox.